Hello there, I'm Kevin Scott, writer of Star Wars The High Republic from Marvel, and you're listening to The Living Force. Welcome to The Living Force Podcast. A Utini Podcast Network production. Episode 121, The High Republic Rising Storm Roundtable Part 2. It's a trap! On this episode, a really cool Utini giveaway. You want this, don't you? The Utini Patreon of the Week. And the Utini crew continues their roundtable discussion about the High Republic Rising Storm by Kevin Scott. Don't know what you got till it's gone. And now, here are your hosts. The Emperor has been expecting you. Dr. Corey Helton, Eric Eilerson, Dr. Charles Henkel, and Wes Jenkins. Utini! What is up, everyone? Welcome into a Thursday edition of the Living Force I'm one of your hosts, Eric Eilerson, and joining me on this UTD Network podcast all about the Rising Storm is the full crew. First off, we have the man himself, the trailer builder, the video deleter, Dr. Corey Helton. <laughs> hello. Hello. I thought you were going to call me trailer trash, if I'm being honest. 100% I thought that's where that was going. When it's finished, you know it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just... Uh... How have we made it 123 episodes without ever moving an episode? It's very weird. It's the first time we've ever not had a Monday since we started going live. And guys, I felt a little empty. I did. <laughs> but I now mean, I feel I feel pretty dead inside all the time. So you Yeah, know. but no one's more dead inside than Dr. Charles Hankel. Hey, dude. That is 100% <laughs> true. Uh, dead man walking here today. But <clears throat> I want to uh, say a heartfelt thank you to you guys for moving this show because I think you know how important these roundtables are to me. And thank you to everybody who's being flexible and tuning in tonight on a Thursday. And uh, for everyone who's listening later, I'm, I'm sorry we were not here on Monday. I'm sure people logged on and they were just like, what is this? But we're here tonight. We're going to make it up for you. I promise. Yeah. And I love that you said, like, thank you for being patient because I've heard that's the good mental health thing. Not sorry I was late, but like, thank you for waiting. It's like a, a positive experience, right? And nothing is a more positive experience than every one of you getting to witness the glory that is Mr. Wes Jenkins. Hey, man. Hello, everyone. I, Eric, I have to get that book of transitions and segues that you have. <laughs> it, it, it's coming through every week, and I really appreciate it, especially with the punch-it lines. You're doing a hell of a job with the punch-it lines, and we're, we're all in tears when the opening video's going through while you're watching, we're just like... Hands in our faces and just crying out loud. It's great. Oh, well, thank you, man. A little incentive for you audio listeners that there's a little preamble every week that gets real weird. But we are here. Uh, a lovely chat already here. Hi to all of you. Happy Thursday. As I said, we are here to talk all about Kevin Scott's The Rising Storm for part two of our roundtable. There will be spoilers. There will be laughter. There will be tears. Um, and there will be at least one officially licensed High Republic Fair shirt that I am wearing. Hashtag not a sponsor. Hashtag it's on shop Disney support book merchandise. But because Charles likes to get into these as quickly as possible, we're going to do a few brief housekeeping things. Number one, a reminder that this Monday there will be another Living Force show. That's right. Within like four days, you're... Five days, you're getting two shows. Uh, we are doing an all-questions episode. So if you haven't yet, please jump into our Discord channel at Living Force. Uh, DM us on Twitter at our Living Force pod handle or any of our personal handles. Send us an email. Whatever you got to do to get in contact with us. 
Send us your questions. We want to have a fun episode answering anything about Star Wars, anything about the books, whatever you want to hear us ramble about. We are in your hands on Monday, so get those in. Wes, we have another thing ending on Monday. Tell the audience what they need to do to win a prize again. Okay, so in light... (laughs) That's great. In light of The Rising Storm, um, we are giving away the out-of-print version of Kevin Scott's The Rising Storm. So it comes with the variant cover and a tote bag that uh, we found out has a inside pocket that's really nice. Um, from so one fancy. Of our, <laughs> from Jacob on the team. Um, so in order to win this book, you have to follow us on three different social media platforms. So follow us on Twitter, follow us on YouTube, follow us on Instagram. And last but not least, leave a comment in either the roundtable part one or part two on YouTube. And I will randomly, or we will randomly draw somebody next Monday. So whatever day that is, in three, you have four days to follow us on those three different social media platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and then leave a comment. And so we'll, we'll do the rat, we'll do the, the, the wheel of death and see whoever wins. <laughs> wheel of death. Okay. Yes. <laughs> see who wins the see who wins the book and we'll ship it out to you. So um, I hope uh, we get a lot of entries and then we'll do it live on air. So yeah. everybody see who wins. Do it live. <laughs> do it live. And I want to say a shout out to some folks on our first roundtable episode. I'm already seeing comments like I already own this version. I own this book. But I, I like this roundtable and I want to comment to help out the analytics because, yo, that's absolutely why we do this. Uh, we're not even going to oh, yeah. pretend. It helps our, our YouTube analytics to get comments. It helps our followers. It's for money. Yeah. <laughs> but we appreciate it. Um, and also, on that note, I, I've never done this before. I don't want to do it a lot. If you haven't subscribed to this channel we're on, go ahead, throw us a subscribe. And if you're watching, go ahead and like this video if you want. I don't Smash know. Smash yeah. that like and subscribe. All right. Button. I'm done. Like I that? hate it. Moving on. Moving on. I hate it. Uh, but you know what I don't hate, and what is also about money that Corey loves, is our Patreon community. And we got a, a few new patrons this week we want to shout out. We have Sean Patrick Murphy, Gavin McFadden, and Nico Kaboris that became monthly patrons of The Living Force and Utini. Thank you. Um, I know it's, it's, we kind of just say thank you every week for this, but it really is a very heartfelt thank you. Uh, this week we even had some comments in our bonus shows uh, that you get from subscribing to the Patreon channel uh, that were about the Ghost Crew episode that Charlie and I dropped this week, and that was really nice to read because that's one of the shows that we like putting up behind that paywall for our subscribers, and uh, it's cool to know that you're loving it. So, again, if you want to join that community and see everything we're doing, including our upcoming August 20th, Friday, August 20th, Patreon event where the four of us will be doing a drunk trivia night moderated by our very own Timothy Guthrie, uh, you have till then to join our Patreon community. Um, we do, Frank. however, yes, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be sloppy. <laughs> There'll be pool hats, at least one. Hats. Uh, I need to buy some hats, hell yeah. Mm. Uh, but we do have uh, a very, very special to me patron of the week this week, Charles. Who are we talking about? So, this week we are talking about Mr. Ian Page. And Ian says, Hello there, my name is Ian Page, aka Wookie Hugger on the Discord channel. I'm from the Midwest, but currently based in Los Angeles. Star Wars has been huge for me ever since my seventh birthday when my dad gifted me all his old Kenner toys, including an original Millennium Falcon and my eventual favorite character, Chewbacca. 
My fandom <laughs> focuses <laughs> my fandom focus changes all the time. Sometimes it's the movies, sometimes it's the books, sometimes the toys, and sometimes actually always it's the memes. But most importantly, it's the fandom friendships. Spoiler alert, Eric has been my Star Wars ride or die friend since college, and I have to admit to pretty constantly enabling and encouraging his Funko and lightsaber addictions. Yup. Uh, don't we all? My favorite oh, yeah. Star Wars story <laughs> is Bloodline, uh, because no one writes Leia better than Claudia Gray, even the creator. I also got deep into Clone Wars recently and think about it constantly. I've been on the Utini train since the mail-in days and even still have all my posters proudly hanging up amidst my official posters, so I'm excited to finally be on the Patreon and Discord. My questions for the host. What is your biggest zero-judgment guilty pleasure in the fandom? I, for one, have been hosting yearly holiday special screenings for the last six years, and Life Day just isn't the same without it. I also love collecting figures for deep, deep-cut characters that make you go, what, they made a toy for Elon Slum... Elon... <laughs> Slumbagano, I think it's Sleazebagano. <laughs> Slumbagano, is isn't it Sleazebagano? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was Sleazebagano. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe there's Anybody a Slumbagano. Exactly. <laughs> Why? All right. Anyways, thanks for the great show and lovely community you fostered. May the force be with you all. So thank you, Ian, and what a fantastic picture that fits your Discord name. It's it's so great. Yeah, uh, yeah. So Ian's been my best friend since college. It's awesome to have him in Discord. Um, I am the person that gets him those weird figures every Christmas. That's our tradition for the last decade is finding which weird, honestly, prequels action figures to buy him. Um, Ian is, uh, Ian's been around for a really long time. I talked to him a long, long time ago mm-hmm. on the phone. I called him out of, the, out of blue because I had his number. Because we used to do that. Part of the, <laughs> it was part of the – when you signed up for a subscription box, it was like one of the things you collected was the phone number. And I called him. And I was like, hey, Ian. It's Corey from Utini. And he's like, what? <laughs> that is, I, I guarantee you how it started, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much, pretty much how it went. Uh, we Shipping destroyed his graphic novel, and uh, Ian told us how terrible it was, and we basically moved to boxes after that. That was so, a single phone call went from sleeves to boxes, and the Utini right. duct tape. We had officially a Utini-branded duct tape. Dude, I still got a roll of that. I found it when I was... Uh, uh, so a bunch of uh, I'm what? sort of like getting I'm getting rid of some of my Star Wars books. I know that sounds like blasphemy, but some of my older books that I know I'm not going to read again. Um, I've been I've been like I, mean, I have them all listed on like Facebook Marketplace and stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, I offered I offered to give them to the team or to sell them to the team because I like money. <laughs> and uh, a whole bunch of team members bought uh, some of my Star Wars books, and nobody has said anything yet. But I did like throw in a whole bunch of extra Utini stuff into those packages when I mailed them. So that's um, awesome. Lots of stuff. Yeah, from that's the awesome, and it's uh, it's rude because nobody wants your trash. <laughs> if that's what you're putting in there. Well, speaking of trash, segue. Uh, so Ian's question: what, what is our guilty pleasure? I I do know that Ian hosts these holiday special parties. Every year, I have not been to one since he's been in Los Angeles, but because uh, I refuse to watch it. Um, but guys, do we have a guilty pleasure in the Star Wars world? I love Attack of the Clones, man. I've always sure. loved Attack of the Clones. That is like that's every, fair. I know it's I, I know it's the worst film. Everybody knows it's the worst film, is but it? I will still I will still put it higher it than Phantom Menace on my rank list because I love it. It's yeah. a great movie. I think. I think mine is any behind the scenes stuff. The documentaries, the like oh, deleted yeah. scenes, like I mean now not so much, but I don't when I first got the Blu-rays, I felt like I spent more time on like all that stuff oh, than yeah. actually watching the movies. Like 
I don't know. I really love this. That's and, a good one. And even with the sequels, all the all the documentaries that they did for those, the like hour long ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. incredible. I'll, I'll watch that stuff all the time. <laughs> totally. Wes, what about you? Uh, I mean, I I don't know that I have one. I know that I buy a bunch of books that I'm not going to read. Maybe that's my guilty pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair yeah i'm guilty about books. finances <laughs> yeah but i think that's that's an interesting thing about you teeny right is that we have kind of over the last three years for ourselves kind of destroyed the idea of a guilty pleasure it's all just like yeah. what you enjoy which i think is cool and i think that like yeah. there are some things so if, if something was to be considered guilty outside i think for me lately it's been like more of a surprising pleasure has been like just how much I devour anything involving the handmaidens for me. Like ever since Green oh, yeah. Shadow came mm-hmm. on, anything, anything Padme, anything Sabe, like, cause again, as, as much it's thought of as like the prequels, especially that's like Naboo attack of the clone stuff that a lot of people still in the mainstream don't love. I'm like, I'm all about it. I love it a lot. And I'm, and I'm so glad that like, we've been able to take you teeny to make it a thing that can allow all these things to. It's funny. Be, it's be funny to me judgment. that the man sitting in a room surrounded by 472 Funkos did oh. not answer that Funkos. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh no! I already mentioned. Yeah, I, know, I already right? mentioned my finances being the biggest guilt of mine. But <laughs> you know what? Who's going to buy a house in our generation anyway? Moving on. Uh, <laughs> I asked. Uh, I did ask Eric a couple weeks ago how much money he thinks he spends a month on Funkos. And he told me like a hundred bucks. And I, no, I guarantee you that is not. Oh yeah, that's what I meant. That's yeah. what I meant on Star Wars. And I guarantee you it is. Way Way more than that. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, <laughs> since the last show, I bought the dark saber. Guys, I got the. I didn't tell the audience. I got the dark saber since our last show. Oh yeah. So yeah, deeper and that. deeper the credit card goes. Uh, but where the <laughs> Amazon point stop? Nobody knows. <laughs> All right, everyone. A few quick things of Star Wars news. Number one is a heartfelt congratulations to the one, the only Justina Ireland, who's out of the shadows, debuted at number two. On the New York Times Young Adult Reader bestseller list, which, yes, if you're keeping track at home, means that every single High Republic novel so far has hit the New York Times bestseller list, um, further confirming that Star Wars publishing is dead. So, um, congratulations <laughs> to Justina, though. Um, number two is freaking awesome. Like, especially because this book came out so quickly after Rising Storm, y'all. I was kind of afraid that the hype of Rising Storm would maybe slow the sales a bit, but people showed up for Out of the Shadows. I was very happy. Yeah. Higher public, man. It's like uh, it's it's all about it right now. Yeah. Everybody's really oh. into it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I've really seen a lot of negative commentary about the. Speaking of stuff. my finances, these are two <laughs> oh, yeah. of the. I will not read these. I have already read the book. I read it a month ago for the review, and then I bought these covers that are the same pages. I know, but it was great. So awesome covers. Congratulations, Justina. Out of the shadows. We got about we got probably a little over a month to that next round table. Some people are already finishing it though on our Discord and the conversations are awesome. Congratulations. I hope that stays on the list for another month. Next thing we got is a little bit of news today that we had talked about on our bounty hunt show recently that we kind of thought was coming, we assumed, but we got confirmation, y'all. Bad Batch is not a limited series. We are getting season two in twenty twenty two. Oh wait, that's next year. What'd y'all think about this? Like, not a huge surprise, right? Uh, I mean, not not necessarily a huge surprise, but still also a surprise. I would say, like, oh. I mean, but a welcome one. No, is what you're saying? A surprise yes, to be a sure. A welcome one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a surprise to be sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't a surprise at all. I think. I think that once 
we were <clears throat> once we do bounty hunt we're always talk about hey i mean there's so much they have to unpack and they're not gonna be able to do it in two episodes so we have to have a second season and they're right? like yeah. you're right yeah. wes <laughs> we're gonna keep going i think i was surprised yeah. by the timing of the announcement though like because we're so yeah. close to the finale That's true. i was expecting if anything at the end of the finale it would say like you know the bad bash will return similar to how they did yeah. with Mando, yeah. right i was pumped. i was expecting something like that yeah. too Maybe it's nice. Maybe it's because they want people to go into the finale without wondering, like, how are they going to tie up every loose end? They're like, we'll take the pressure off. Yeah. There will be a second season. Now you can just enjoy, which they also confirmed. That was like the second piece of news that it will be a two part finale um, in typical yeah. Star Wars animation fashion. So we got part one, part two, uh, dropping at, what, 3 a.m. Eastern tomorrow morning. So I know some people stay up late. I know some people over in the UK uh, get to watch at a much more normal hour. I myself. Wake up like a little early before work, so very excited uh, that we're getting more Bad Batch. If you've missed any of our Bounty Hunt shows, they're on this channel. They're on uh, our Patreon feed, and they're on our regular feed where we just talk about the Bad Batch. We've been loving it. We're very happy. And finally, one more piece of news that was written by on our site by our very own Meg Dowell, who has returned from sabbatical and has already written like three or four news articles. Uh, but Meg, welcome back. We love you very much. We're so happy you had a good break. But she did write about... Another Star Wars project coming out on October 1st, Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales, because I guess we're doing Lego holiday specials. That's the future. Uh, sure. Like, sure. Right? Why yes. not? You can't yeah. mad at Legos, right? Why so. not? <laughs> Just like everybody yeah. got so atrociously mad at the holiday special from years and years and years after it even came out, you can't get mad at Legos, though. So. No. That's it's right. so fun. And I I really enjoyed that stupid little uh, that stupid little <laughs> Lego one last special. year that came out. It was so yeah. fun. The holiday yeah. special was so fun. It was like it was such a fun like it made fun of the holiday special, yep. but also like like kind of made fun of you know the idea of canon a little yep. bit, which was kind of fun. Like I I really enjoyed it. It yeah. was a goofy little episode. And did you guys see that one of the castings that was revealed? I believe was that Ren, the character Ren which I think is the Ren from Kylo Ren, is going to be voiced by Christian Slater. Did you wow. see this? No. Is, no. no, I didn't see I that. I didn't. Is he looking for work? What's going to say? The looks the three of you just gave are exactly what I wanted when I revealed that. So I was like, uh, oh, all right. Uh, but October 1st, that'll be happening. Get us in the spooky season, so that'll be fun. But, of course, there's plenty of Star Wars before that. A reminder of the things that are coming up. Very soon, you can check out our release calendar on utini.com for all these. But if you want to get your pre-orders in, next Wednesday, August 11th, The Monster of Temple Peak, issue number one of the uh, what the graphic novel split apart, I guess, of uh, The High Republic story by Kevin Scott starring Ty Yorick starts next Wednesday. Then Tempest Runner, the audio drama, also written by Kevin Scott, comes out August 31st with The Tale of Lorna D, which we've got a cast reveal about. Uh, I think earlier last week, a lot of great voices coming in. And, wow, this was not intentional. Also by Kevin Scott and George Mann, the Life Day Treasury collection comes out on September 7th. So, as I, as I say this, Kevin, go to bed. I love you, man. That's, that's <laughs> all. What a year for Kevin Scott. But check out our new releases pages for, I guess, everything Kevin Scott you want in your life. And, of course, everything else. Uh, before I show it over to Charles, a couple things in the chat they did remind us of. The Edge of Balance manga also comes out September 7th. I usually only put three, so I missed that one. Um, but that is coming out September 7th. The first canon Star Wars manga uh, that is telling a new story. And the Lost Stars manga did come out, so very excited for that. Uh, and a preemptive 
happy birthday to Harish, who says Montreux Temple Peak comes out on their birthday. Nice. So nice. that'll be a great way to nice. celebrate it with some awesome art and some monster hunting fighting. All right, Charles, let's do it, man. We've been waiting. Thursday night show, questions. Here we go. All right, so part two of the Rising Storm Roundtable. Last time we got through the characters, which is exactly what we wanted to do. Tonight we're going to focus on the overarching questions, and then as always we're going to take some time for some Easter eggs at the end. Boyos, for the first question, a little softball for you. How did the Rising Storm compare to Light of the Jedi for you? Ooh, mm, ah, yes, a softball. Okay, well, we're, we're <laughs> <straight>. <laughs> I, I'm a uh, I'm I'm a bit of a sucker for origin stories, so I, I don't know that anything is going to be able to one up uh, one up the first one. You know, like I mean, I, I really enjoy like uh, and not much really happens in episode four, which is kind of funny. Like it is yeah, like realistically aged really poorly. Honestly, it really has in a lot of ways, and like. But nothing really happens, but I love that film. And if I pick one at random, even though it's not my favorite film, I am very likely to pick that one really more than any other one. So, like, I don't know, man. It's going to be hard for anything to one-up that, I think. I think, um, yeah, you're right. So, like, Light of the Jedi gave us the setup. And Mm -hmm. I don't, yeah, it's kind of tough to go outside of Light of the Jedi or being better than Light of the Jedi because... What I didn't expect was the great disaster to hit us so quickly, right? Mm-hmm. So, especially with those first eight chapters that we got um, before the book even came out. So, but one thing I do really like that kind of, I don't know, it kind of keeps them close is, I mean, did the villains win in The Rising Storm? Is that what we're, what we're working with? Right. Because it makes you, see, it makes you seem like they won. Question. And then going into the third one, like the just the title of the book, The Fallen Star, makes me think. I mean, oh. we're not really getting out of it. So, no. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I love a book where the villain turns into a protagonist in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, Light of the Jedi was so good. It was so it good. Was. So yeah. I mean, we saw some things that the Jedi have never done before, even in Legends. So um, it's kind of hard to beat. Yeah. I'm 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 of the same mind generally because I really like what like Harish Endar and Stephanie are saying in the chat right now. Um, Harris put it really nicely. Light of the Jedi and Rising Storm are like two sides of the coin that like one doesn't really work without the other. And I really like that idea that like no other book could have followed Light of the Jedi except Rising Storm. You know, I think that's what we had to have, and that's why they work so well as a pairing. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, Wes, I think Fallen Star is really just gonna smash it home to like end out the uh, the phase. And I think, Corey, you're right. When I was reading Light of the Jedi, every chapter was like, they're doing this. Oh, my God, they're yeah. doing this. And they're like, because mm. it was the first time. And I, and I gave that, and as you did as well, we gave that book a perfect 10. And that, despite what some people may say, is very hard to get from us, I think. And I right. gave Rising Storm a 9.7 at the beginning of this. And I think it's that same thing where, like, Rising Storm is a very different book. And obviously, its impact of what I think about daily, I think, is more. Based on the events, I think I think about stuff that happened in Rising Storm slightly more than Light of the Jedi. But it is hard to to recreate that feeling of, like, this is all brand new. Oh, my God, it's working. Oh, my God, it's still working. Wait, I love all of this. Like, <laughs> that realization is a very special moment in my Star Wars career, I think. Career. God, my Star Wars life. That sounds pretentious. It's a career. Star Wars career. <laughs> I think <laughs> this is the job is. I put it on a resume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. I think that's really interesting. And absolutely, I like the idea that, of course, the Rising Storm is built on the foundation that is 
Light of the Jedi. So you can't really talk about one without talking about the other. But I will say for what it's worth, I liked The Rising Storm more than Light of the Jedi. and already loved Light awesome. of the Jedi. Um, wow. I am just a sucker for those dark middle chapters of trilogies. I don't know what it is. I like to suffer emotionally. And uh, that's kind of the, the point of my second question. I want to revisit the final lines of this book and then hit you with that question. So if in, oh, in case y'all have not read this book yet, please, God, don't listen like, to this. And uh, This should not be how you find out. <laughs> We can't please, say it enough. And I can't. Listen. Please, God. And I just said I love, like, I love being hurt by these books. I just want to make sure that everyone in the audience is hurt again by this book. So on page... Right, give, me, give me a second, Charles. You can go. Okay. <laughs> I haven't finished. Uh, so on the, on the final page, we get this quote. Stellan bent down beside the petrified body, seeing the line of a noble brow in the rock, the line of ragged Jedi robes. He reached out a trembling finger and brushed what had once been Loden Great Storm's cheek. The face collapsed in on itself, the entire husk crumbling to dust before his eyes. And for the first time since he was a child, Stellan Geos was afraid. So, wow. Hi, I'm Mark Thompson. This has been a Star Wars audio production. <laughs> yeah, it's a very abrupt ending. <laughs> uh, with the triumphant oh, horns playing in the background. You're like, no. Um, so read the room, guys. Why do you think these books are getting so dark, and what benefit do you think that serves to the story? I'm going to cheat on this question because I I read an interview. Uh, we talked about this off air uh, from Kevin Scott that he did on StarWars.com this week about the Rising Storm. It was more spoiler filled, and they asked him. They asked him that he's like, "Why do you put your characters through these things? Like, why why is this dark?" And he just said, like, you have to put your heroes through the hardest things they can go through. And I think that's part of it, is that at the end of the day, these are stories of heroes and villains, right? And I think there's something really powerful to seeing your heroes put through extreme struggle and loss and, like, these hard things. Because if you're a kid or an adult, for that matter, and you're like, my life is super hard, it's like, yeah, well, remember Belle? Remember Bell Zetafar when he, he thought he got him back and then was immediately crushed? And then further on in the story, we assume we will see him rise somehow. And I think that that's part of the inspiration that we get to witness these dark moments and these hard trials because eventually, you know, the sun will rise. That's It's the Sam speech at the end of Two Towers. It's like a new day mm-hmm. will come, but you got to go through this stuff first. Yeah. This is now a Lord yeah. of the Rings podcast no. again. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I was, man, I, I'm a little more on the fence about this whole thing because I don't really know what... I don't know what they're going to do with this, like, at all. Like, I just have no idea. I mean, I can see this character development for Bell, I suppose. Um, you know, it's supposed to be his story. There really yeah. is no guarantee that it lightens up at the end and that the heroes win. No. That's the thing. No. You know, maybe this is, maybe it just keeps going, getting worse and worse and worse. We have no idea. I mean, can we, can we give spoilers for comics on this show? I mean, it's kind of related. Yeah, well, you're saying it now. Let's say if you haven't read uh, the latest High Republic comic or so, uh, one you should skip away, like, skip ahead like a minute or pause for like a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, issue seven of the High Republic comic um, depicts the very last page. might be a force vision. It's kind of unclear mm-hmm. if it is, but it, it depicts uh, Avar Chris like dead and like the the Dren gear have got like their 
tendrils like, like through, through her, her skull skeleton. and yeah. stuff. It's like really dark and it's kind of scary and like I don't know, man. It's not really shaping up well for our heroes. Maybe they're <laughs> gonna kill them all off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it keeps us glued to the pages, right? Because we because nobody is is safe, right? Nobody. No, it's like uh, Game of Thrones when when yeah, next. Right. Oh Jesus. Please watch Game of Thrones season one before I say this. When Ned Stark <laughs> no, dies, no, at you've the had end. a decade. You've had a decade for Game of Thrones season That's one. That's right. That's right. And once he was, once his head got lopped off, you were like, "Man, nobody's safe. Nobody's yeah, safe no. in this thing." That is certainly so, how I felt at the end of this one. Is yeah. like that was my first thought: is nobody's safe. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think that like you know, death isn't necessarily what what has to happen for drama to happen, right? But there is an amount of stakes that are added to it. Like going to the dark side in Star Wars is also a form of death, right? Like, that is also on the table, and I think Elzar touching the dark side in this book adds that stake of, like, we talked about mm-hmm. that last week. Like, now is this a possibility? And, like, Loden, who's, like, he's in the character art. He's my Discord name. Like, this is a character. <laughs> Those aren't on the same level of importance, to be clear. Uh, but, like, you know, was, was shown as one of the premier things of this um, line. And it's like, yeah, the story will go where the story goes. And as a reader, how exciting is that? For people yeah, that read, for sure. usually every book we read, we know at least two characters that are going to live because we know that they're in future things. Yeah. But now it's like, yeah, Yoda, and you got Yariel Poof. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's explore a little bit about how the Jedi themselves in this book are dealing with that darkness. Because uh, we have it easy. We're sitting in armchairs reading about it. They're living it. And uh, badly, Charles. Yes. <laughs> Not well. <laughs> so uh, Indira Stokes is talking to Belzettafar about what Loden would say if he was around early on in the novel when they do think that he's dead, but he's not dead, but then he will be dead. Um, and what Indira said was he would also remind you how a Jedi faces the death of those they love because Jedi can love Bell. We're not droids, nor should we ever be. We're living creatures living in the Force with everything that brings. Joy, affection, and yes, grief. Experiencing such emotions is part of life. It is light. But while we experience such emotions, we should never let them rule us. A Jedi is a master of their emotions, never a slave. You miss what you might have shared with Loden if he were there or if he were here. That is natural. I miss him too. And so we acknowledge that hurt. We understand it, even embrace it, but eventually we let it go. Now, is that a message from Indira to Bell or from Cavan to us? Because Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean really yeah. it's it's I think oh. it's important that he addresses how to deal, specifically how to deal with something horrible before presenting us with horrible things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So quote shout outs before I want I want to hear what you guys think about this one. A couple chat shout outs rather. Harish says, Indira Stokes, one of the High Republic's most underrated characters. And I think yeah. after this wave, oh, yeah. 100%. Um, and Caroline says, that's her favorite quote of the book. I can't blame you. It, it's beautiful. Um, what do you guys think? Well, you have to, I, I feel like they have to know what those feelings are in order to let them go, right? So if they, if they embrace those feelings, then hold on to them, much like Anakin did um, and kind of how um, Elzar Mann did in, in this book, then that can be a path to the dark side. Mm-hmm. So yep. if you if if you see what those emotions are and you feel what they are but you don't actually act on them but you know what they are when they come about, mm-hmm. you have an easier time of of dealing with those. I think you have an easier time with dealing. I'm sure everybody's right. different. Every yeah. Jedi is different. 
Right. You know, the, the, the whole like attachment issue in Star Wars is like such a huge overarching issue that's been around forever. Holy mm-hmm. smoke. So much legend stuff deals with this. Right. And and in, uh, in, in the Legends timeline, famously, like Luke didn't ban attachment like from Jedi. Yeah. Like all the Jedi are like married. <laughs> you know what? He's like, he's like when Henry VIII wanted to get divorced. So he created the Church of England and he was like, no, that's how it is now. I want to get divorced. And Luke's like, I really want to yes. marry Mara Jade. All right. That's the rule. That's how it is. I know. That's, that's, what, they, that's what they do. Yeah. Luke is Henry VIII. That's my quote. You should pull from Twitter. That's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, the fact that that. They're addressing the attachment issue again is is awesome, and I feel like like this is like the true way the attachment issue is supposed to be like addressed is yeah. in, is the way the Jedi like they have like a healthy a healthy understanding of what attachment is, and they all freely discuss it. Whereas like in the prequels, Anakin is like you can't tell anybody about Padme, and it's yeah. like super secret, and like you know it's implied a bunch of times that like if the Jedi Order found out that they would kick him out, and this is like yeah, it's just not. You know, it's not. It's not. It seems like such a hard line in in modern Star Wars. Yeah, right? I mean, for any of us that had maybe had secret girlfriends in high school, hypothetically speaking, it sucked. <laughs> Didn't work out. It's not great. Um, she, she went to a different school, Eric. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hypothetically, hypothetically. Uh, but I just want to shout out Jacob in the chat. Uh, brought up a great point. This is a great conversation about it. But in Race to Crash Point Tower, um, the middle grade novel that happens in the middle of this book by Daniel Jose Older. There's a similarly great quote and conversation from Vernestra Rowe yeah. um, where she, she has an incredible discussion about attachment, especially for a middle grade book. And I find it interesting that two of the main books, um, Not of the Shadows actually does talk about this as well. This whole wave really talked a lot about attachment. And, I wonder, and I'm sure it's intentional. I mean, it's not accidental, right? But it's kind of cool that these authors in this era are really putting such an emphasis on that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I think we're going to get more because I think we're going to experience some more loss. And with loss come those feelings of attachment. Yeah, um, probably so. Yeah, let's, I think so. Let's look at this. Claudia Gray's never hurt me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> let's look at this next quote, which is I'm saying is from page 54. Remember, all my numbers are a little bit off because I use the tablet. But Stellan says this. Strong passions are something we try to control within ourselves as emotions can cloud our judgment, especially in stressful situations. They can blind us to the truth and to the leading of the force. That said, it would be foolish to suggest that a Jedi has no desires or interests. In fact, I would go so far as to say that it would be dangerous, leading only to complacency. Yes, I have a passion for learning and teaching. It's a part of who I am. But I'm also prepared to set such things aside at a moment's notice. My passions must never be greater than my mission. And mm, that's it. Man, I love Stellan. I love Stellan. Ah, uh, damn on those. <laughs> damn whoa. on the haters, Stellan. <laughs> Good catch, Eric. All right. <laughs> we are a family show. And so <laughs> that is because, not true. Because we're a family show, I bring up this quote to lead us into a discussion about, you guessed it, sex. And <laughs> so the horniest era. Yes. What's up? So what are your thoughts on Elzar Man's one night stand with Samira? And what is the Jedi Order's official stance, do you think, on sex? And I want you to know, I, when I wrote They're this gonna... question, I almost asked what is their position on sex, but that felt wrong. <laughs> But, but that's a different book. But seriously, do they allow it? Do they allow it? Do they look the other way? Does does it affect gonna, the Jedi's relationship gonna, with the Force? What do you think? 
They're gonna put him in horny jail. That's what's gonna happen. Bonk. Okay, no. that's the Citadel Bonk. or whatever it was from the club. Yeah, the horny jail. No, yes. I, I mean, I realistically, I think that I don't think that they demonize it at this at this point, right? Because I think it's kind of like the hey, like Stellan says, don't let it get in the way of anything intense. Like if if, if he was yeah. like with Samira when everything was going badly, then obviously he would be clouded, wouldn't be able to be like you know do your job. It's kind of like what I assume this is a, a very large stretch, but like a military type thing. Like if there's a mission and we got to do something, you got to go. Mm-hmm. But like <laughs> if not, Sorry. it's your it's your time. You know, <laughs> don't let don't let yourself get super distracted and super in, like overly invested to the point where you prioritize someone like Anakin to Padme over the listening mm-hmm. teachings of the Force. Um, or the entire galaxy and all of the Jedi. Yeah. Order. But you know. Oh my yeah. God. Hold what on. happens Sa- on Naboo stays on Naboo. Yo, Saber is. Bouquet. New, absolutely the nickname. Elzar, quote, hottest mess in the galaxy, man. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. Is, uh, but to answer your I question, think, Charles, uh, I think I. I think the Jedi, like in this era, tend to not look at sex like uh, it's not like like the religious community looks at yeah. sex, right? It's, it's not like this. Hor- yes, it's not this horrible thing that like nobody can talk about or do or like be involved in at all. It's more like a pleasures of the flesh type of thing, yeah. right? It's like a you know, don't let it become a distraction, right? Because you know, we're we are but crude matter, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's that's how it is. So it's just like a, it's a human desire or a, a, I guess, alien desire, you know, so. I am seeing how Corey will describe (laughs) sex to his future children at this exact moment. That's a human desire. If anything, (laughs) like you said, like you said, Corey, it it humanizes the Jedi right now anyways. So they're able to to act on those urges, but not, like you said, Eric, not take it back to, not take your, your, your home play back to work, if you right. want to call it that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. um, so this, you know, but this do might do be not. There something. Is no try. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure some of them tried and, and came up and came up short. Oh yeah, some um, of those parties. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, so probably something between now and, um, well, I guess episode one. There's got to be a, a changing of the guard of what sex is and what you're allowed and not allowed to do as far as the Jedi order is concerned. So, yeah. Well, cause yeah. it is, correct me if I'm wrong. And sorry, Charles, I don't have the notes up right now. If you're going to get to this, like it is either implied or basically told that like Avar and Elzar slept together when they were like younger, when they were like teenagers or at least yeah. had a romantic, like a heavy romantic mm. physical and second base at least. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but then she essentially was like, "Hey, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be like the head of the Jedi. I'm gonna be like a marshal, and you need to get your shit together." And he's we're like, not yeah. defining bases in this episode, by the way. Just, <laughs> yeah, we're not figure doing it that. out on your own. We're not, we're not going there. Yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, there was, was like there was the whole. Uh, we we talked about this a little bit last time, but like how the uh, the moment with uh, with Avar, like where she sort of pushed away, like is seemed to have like huge effect on him, right? Yeah. Which is very interesting. Yeah. Like, is is this what they're talking about? Is this why the Jedi are like like kind of anti sex? Is it like because it screws you up yeah. and makes you have attachment? I mean, yeah, because it clouded know. him. Like, like, remember when when Orbelin came down the ship instead of Avar? Number one, he didn't know it was Orbelin secretly one of the dopest characters in this whole book love that guy <laughs> but like but like it bumped him out and, and elzar was off his game for a bit and i think yeah. who knows like could he have sensed some danger a little earlier if he wasn't worried about avar not showing up right, right. and like so it's it start it's nowhere near the prequels like you guys are saying but 
I think point. that for what it's worth, his one night stand with Samira is like healthier for him, maybe, than like trying to pursue a full romance with Avar. Even though yeah. I would also, if I'm gonna ship anything, I think that would be a delightful relationship. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. I mean, I will say that the whole like come up to her while she's working and like try to hit on her again was cringy as all hell. And like, yeah. like it was come supposed on, man. to be. I love how I you wrote that. It w- that was the like, point. I mean, it was that was the fun. Point. Like, I'm at work. Like, <laughs> like what's <stop>. your deal? <laughs> I know. <laughs> grow up. Yeah, it was, it grow was up, great. child. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And no, we're here for the fair. You never had a fling at the fair? Like, go. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Olympics, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, Olympic Village. <laughs> Guys, just Google Olympic Village and learn some things. I'm not going to say it on this show, but my goodness. <laughs> All right. Well. So Elzar had that happen. He also had a moment where he like let out this huge wave of, I don't know, dark side energy. And yeah. he's reflecting on all of this. And he, he says a comment or thinks this to himself that I find very interesting. He says the force hadn't deserted him no matter what he had done. That had to be worth something. And it, it piqued my interest because while we know it is possible to lose your connection to the force or to, you know, take the Barash vow and, and those sorts of things. Um, mm. Has the force itself ever abandoned anyone? And if mm. if not, is that a meaningful metric that the force has not abandoned him? Does that matter? It's a, I don't know. That's a heavy question, dude. Like, what's the yeah. nature of the force? Because, like, there is such conflicting uh, sort of thinking around the force in star wars right there's both the idea that the force is its own independent living thing almost mm-hmm. and also it's something else it's a yeah it's nature like it's something that just naturally exists right that the jedi can try to listen to the ebbs and flows like a river i mean there's a lot of like analogy with the force right so mm-hmm. can the force abandon somebody uh, that's an excellent question I, I mean i think the force it seems to be the epitome of the the balance of science and religion right like in an ideal society like it is a religion there is belief involved in it yet there is empirical evidence that it exists like you can move things there is midichlorian counts right and i think that that's kind of a like lucas's idea of it is a beautiful melding of those worlds and this, I gotta say, you read that quote, Charles. This is one that kind of really emotionally got to me a bit because it's like it's a really beautiful sentiment that no matter what you've done, the force, the most powerful thing in the universe, still loves you. And I think that's what a lot of religions try to like make the, make a, a loving deity about, like a, whatever, whether it be God or whether it be whatever you, you believe. Like that's the idea that no matter what you do, the most powerful thing in existence still is there with you and still will believe in you. And I think this was a really great moment for Elzar to realize that, nope, I, I, did, I did a bad thing. I touched the dark side. But like a good parent or like a good friend, like the Force, yep, it's okay. We're still here. We got to heal. Yeah. And Stellan does the same thing later in the book when he admits that. Stellan's like, cool, I won't abandon you either. And I think that Elzar is so afraid of abandonment throughout the book and between the Force and his best friend in the universe, he gets reinforced that, no, you're not alone. And what a powerful, beautiful statement for Kevin to write, especially in 2021, where I think a lot of us in our generation kind of have that bit of anxiety of being yeah. abandoned or not being good enough for stuff. I think that's very intentional. And I think that this was more geared towards like the light side of the Force, right? 
So the light side of the force hadn't deserted him. But oh, the dark, dark side will just cast you out. The dark <laughs> side was still there. <laughs> It'll cast you outside. So, it, so yeah. it's, 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 always, it's always there. So yeah. whether you like the light side or the dark side, it's always going to be there whether you want to embrace the light side or you want to, you know, be a bad boy. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's, we, we know what you want, Wes. Uh, Endar in the chat uh, brings up the, the exile from KOTOR 2. Uh, says she shut herself off from the force during the Malachor battle to prevent herself from dying, which created Darth Nihilus. And I think that's a great point that we we have, and we we as we I don't know if we said this, we have seen people shut themselves off intentionally, yeah. right. like right. Luke or, and, or unintentionally, right? True, or unintentionally, right. you so can dramatic and we've seen people and, yeah. cut or or break someone else's connection to the force. We saw that. Right. We saw that in um, yeah. Claudia Gray's book into the dark so yeah right but yeah, yeah i definitely do think it is the person or an out external force the force itself is always open mm-hmm. to whoever's listening and i think that if you are someone like the exile or like um des or like luke um between right episode seven and eight like yeah you can stop listening and you can do that but the second you try to open yourself up again it does feel like the force is always there which is actually a very reassuring thought it's like a, it seems like yeah. a very gandalf speech yeah. Like, oh, it's mm-hmm. an encourage. Like when you're talking about the gray. Sorry, Lord of the Rings contest yet again. <laughs> <laughs> it is a uh, you know probably unconnected, but uh, OK Engar does bring up an interesting point about uh, Darth Nihilus. Like it's the first mention of the Nile and uh, of of the word Nihil being yeah. used in Star Wars, right? So that's kind of interesting. There's there was a lot of debate something. about that early on. Oh no, Charles' internet <laughs> just went out, didn't it? I don't- no, no, we're back. I have no idea what just happened. Oh, he's back. I just disappeared. For a Holy second. smokes! <laughs> keep talking. Uh, Charles, Charles told us before the show that for some reason his breaker keeps getting flipped in his new apartment. And I thought for sure that just happened. Someone we lost just, him. The, for, the force the will never abandon you. I might for three seconds and then come right back. But <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, well, speaking Fair of question. the force, how about Bell's near death experience from chapter thirteen? I, I, I want to <laughs> point go. this out that. Each chapter has a location listed at the beginning, whether it's Starlight Beacon, whatever it is. Chapter 13 in particular, the location is labeled as beyond, just beyond. And that's so cool. Within that chapter, Bell is like literally, I don't know, interacting with the force and thinks he's going to die, but then realizes there's more for him to do. And he, then he ends up living through the experience. And and what he says about for ten thousand lifetimes I battled the Boron. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then he returns as the tallest mountain, the highest peak. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. And just before he was hit, uh, or just after he was hit with that harpoon gun in the gut, he said, "Fly, you fools!" to to Endura yeah. and the rest <laughs> of the Jedi and their vectors. Um, yeah, Bell. You know what? You know what? Back to us, made of fire. In water. <laughs> All right. Well, within within this chapter, Bell says this about his experience. He'd seen the flames, seen the force, and it had left him colder than ever before. And there is no real answer to this question, but like, was this a fever dream or was this a real experience? Yeah. And what it was Bell meant to take from it? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Qu- first, first of all, I do want to point out that like 
I'm pretty sure there's like no injury in which you can't be healed from in Star Wars at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Can you explain exactly what happened? <laughs> so interestingly enough, they did drop some new medical knowledge in here. I can't remember the exact word of it, but like I remember seeing. Like in the scene, of course, I'm sure Charles is this too. Whenever they somebody gets like hurt and they describe the injury or they describe the medicine that happens in Star Wars, you kind of really rise a little bit if you have any real knowledge. And there's t- something about like like synth gut or something like that. Like they implied that they like repaired his bowels with Bacto yeah. somehow, and it's just like, bro, you don't you don't recover from that without like major <laughs> surgery. And yeah, no, no, no. Life, the so. space the space harpoon shot into his thing, and then it pierced the glass, but also made a vacuum seal with the spears. We kept it inside himself. Um, Whenever you said that for some stuff. reason, Corey, when you're like, is there anything you can't come back from? I My mind immediately flashed to Dooku getting his head cut off. And then it went to the movie Mars Attacks where the girl's head gets put yeah. on the chihuahua's body. <laughs> and that, and then I pictured Dooku like that. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. Pierce Brosnan's running thinking, around. <laughs> I, was thinking of a, I was thinking of Futurama with all the heads in jars and whatever. It's fantastic. They should have put Dooku in there. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I think that to answer your point about this chapter, though, I think this was... I mean, it's a Force vision, right? I think that we've that Force vision, somewhat like medicine in Star Wars, is like, yeah, it means what it has to mean. Um, yeah. And I think that it is the idea where he felt himself losing his, losing his connection to the Force because the trauma of the event was kind of compounding on some other trauma that he had, and that was creating a blockage. And I think that was kind of like the metaphorical way of us viewing that blockage <laughs> building because I think it's, it's been... Shut up. Medicine, <laughs> a colon blockage. I get it. Corey and I are the same when it Which, comes to some of this stuff. I started laughing a little bit, and then I saw him smirk, and then I kept laughing. It's rough. Beside that, I use different oh, words. But like watching Bell essentially like wall himself up in a very hard way was like kind of hard to watch because we, we've we've read stuff before about Jedi feeling the Force, and then the second they don't, they realize they're cold, or like they've been like. Oh, my whole life I felt connected, and then now I'm cut off. It's like mm-hmm. it's a really weird alien feeling, and watch and having a whole chapter. I really appreciated Kevin walking us through that process of essentially being disconnected from a life web that you've known your entire life, and yeah. I l- loved watching him try to like fight his way back throughout the rest of the book. Yeah, yeah, he was probably in the most pain he's ever been in in his entire life, and a harpoon in your gut, and you just hold it there. Yep. Or, and then try to fly your vector with the force. Yeah, yeah. as I mean, in Kira is like holding the glass so you don't suffocate. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. Hold, and then putting in the shrapnel to cover the hole mm. with her. I mean that that whole scene was amazing. It yeah, was. that the, was cool. The Visceral. imagery that that Kevin had had written there. Yeah, yeah. Do you think they use colon crystals to fix him? <laughs> anyway, so. Like, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I thought that I thought that was a really great sort of like it was it sort of revealed that like Bell hadn't totally lost his connection to the force if anything it was stronger right because he he like later was it later on in the book that he did the same thing with the he assembled was that in yeah here? That was later on book, where, yeah where he yeah, was yeah, in the right. ship wait, wait. and he was like holding everything right. together yeah he assembled it because he'd seen avar chris do it so i mean it was it was or yeah. not avar it wasn't avar it was uh indira in, indira indira yep. yeah, yeah that's right yeah god yeah there was uh, Be- bell i think is really interesting to that point where <clears> i didn't even track that but now that you say that we do see him learn. He's a great student. Yeah. He learns yeah, he and employs things constantly, even throughout just this first mm-hmm. wave. He is, God, he'd be so fun to teach. No wonder everyone likes him. They're like, oh, yeah, no, I tell him a thing, he remembers, and then he employs it. 
Yeah. yeah. It's like an ideal resident, I assume. Because I assume you have to tell them things like 18,000 times before they stick. Pretty much. Yeah, you just slap them upside the head one good time, then they never forget. <laughs> if Corey was a Jedi Master, who would he be? <laughs> Love it. Uh, so let's move on to this next prompt, which is actually from our buddy, Timothy. And he uh, posted this prompt in Discord and wanted me to ask it. And so this ooh. is a, a, a shout-out to all of you who are in the Discord. If you ever want to make sure that we talk about something in these roundtables – you can put questions in our book-specific channel in Discord, and we'll make sure we hit that point. So Timothy wanted us to talk about how they removed the hero of Hetzel herself, Avar Chris, from this novel so that she could yeah. be a part of the story in the High Republic comics, um, as well as, as how that kind of put her at odds with the government and the rest of the Jedi's efforts, which were all focused on the Republic fair. So what did you think about that choice of totally removing the more or less headline Jedi from the first book of yeah. this series. I loved it. I mean, bold, like, I, yeah, I liked it a lot. I mean, it like, I like that. Uh, it really makes you ask a lot of questions about the, the Jedi order. Like, what is the leadership structure like? Because in the prequels, it's like the council was like all powerful, all in charge, all arrogant. Right. Whereas like, you know, here it looks like, there's a lot of authority between lots of different people. Like in the comic, Avar like is begging for Jedi to be sent like out to deal with the Dringar and stuff. And like they're the other Jedi have got their own crap to deal with with the fair and stuff. So they're all kind of like at odds, just weird like politics mm-hmm. almost involved. It's it's good. I like it a lot. Yeah. When I realized what well, that she wasn't really gonna be in this one, I had the Jason Bateman moment from Dodgeball. I was like, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. <laughs> like, I was, I was like, because she's in the middle of the cover of the first book. Like, yeah. this is the initiative. She is the mm-hmm. star. And I think it's smart to have Kevin write this and have him also be writing the story in which she is the star. Well, second star mm-hmm. to Keeve, I suppose. Third star right. to Keeve and Skier in the comic. Um, but I agree, Corey. I think it worked really well because it allowed that story to also have weight. Because in the comic, you have to tell your readers that is also important. And you know how important it is? The, the hero of Hetzal herself is in this story. So I think as a – this is a little more meta-publishing, right? I think that yeah. was intelligent. But as Stephanie just said in the, in the chat, they really had to give other characters time to shine to round out this phase. And I don't think we would have gotten nearly as much impact uh, for, like, Elzar, Stellan, Bell, or Boleyn um, if we had a- Avar in this book as well. So I think it kind of also set the stage for what to expect going forward. Like, who knows who's going to come in which book? Um, so kind of, like, love your favorites while they're there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good marketing point about the comics. They have the hero of Hetzal. Like, oh, that one is going to be the main in this comic? Uh, I got to pick that up. Exactly. So, she's, um, she's on the cover by, right by Keeve, and it's like, oh, yeah, that. Yeah, but I mean, but detailing other characters, it just makes it, it just makes it a, a larger Jedi universe that you mm-hmm. need to know because we're yeah. only learning the about LJU. these characters. Yeah. Like, most of us are going to learn about these characters through the novels, and then mm-hmm. we're going to get more information through the comics, and that's going to be a smaller group. Um, but we're going to get all our information from these books. So the only way that they're going to be able to highlight that is to give characters their due and so like i mean because they did that with avar chris i'm thinking the fallen star and they might do that with that book and have to highlight somebody else like someone we've never even heard of maybe i mean i don't know why not yeah yeah that'd be great i mean just make it 
more and more detailed. That way, this whole foundation that they're building, they can, you know, steeple it up. Yeah. Ooh. It's like, it's like no one is the main character, yeah. which is cool. Yes, right. exactly. The galaxy is the main character. Like, yeah. I, saw, um, I saw a TikTok today um, oh where George R.R. R. Martin was being interviewed, and he talked about Lord of the Rings. And he said when the books came out, th- this is legit unintentional. Um, when the Lord of the Rings books came out, the poster everyone bought in, like, the, the, I forgot, the 60s or 70s, whenever the actual books were out. It wasn't Aragorn. It wasn't Gandalf. The poster people bought was the map of Middle-earth. Because that was the star. It was the world. And that's what he wrote with Westeros. He wanted that the world to be the star. And I think that the writers of the High Republic are kind of doing that in a weird way. Like, the characters are incredible. Let's be clear, as we talked about last week and this week. But the era is the character. So that's what we're here for. And I think that is what's getting it such staying power from medium to medium. Yeah. I like that, actually. I like that a lot. But... Maybe it's also totally false. Who knows? High Republic. Well, let's talk about another kind of surprising highlight from this book. And that was the introduction of Tegruten culture, which I did oh, hell yeah. not see coming. So I have two quotes here that I'll read for you, um, or just some factoids, actually. The first one is that the Tegruto we learned, they're separate from the Republic, and they call their sector of space the Caramendary, which means the center. And so wants the Tegruta to join the Republic and invites them to the fair in hopes that that will accomplish that. And here's a quote for you about the Tegruta. It says this, Home, specifically the Tegruta homeworld of Shili, had been the biggest stumbling point when the Republic had first ventured into Tegruta space nearly 150 years earlier. Members of the species were fiercely protective of their world and its surrounding moons, considering the ground beneath their bare feet sacred. Those early encounters hadn't gone well. The Tegrudas had known about the Republic for centuries, just as the Republic had known about the Tegrudas. There had been a mutual respect, many such as Joramali, even leaving the Tegrudas' home planet to become Jedi. But having the Republic on Shili's doorstep was a different matter. There had been clashes, some unscrupulous pioneers misreading the Tegrudas' apparent pacifism. Lines had been drawn that still remained nearly two centuries later. But here was the Regassa, standing on a Republic world, the official guest of the Chancellor. So, overall, what did y'all think about the introduction of all of this culture? And do you think that we're going to see the Tegrudas play a big factor in the ultimate story of the High Republic? It's dope as hell. I loved it. <laughs> Thank like, you. Moving on. I, so, cause, so cause I think when we got into this, we're like, oh, we're going to get the Jedi, we're going to get the Republic. But I, for some reason, I didn't think about the, the universe at large, right? But, of course, there's other things going on, and it really made the galaxy feel bigger. Um, one of the things we've talked about on Bounty Hunt recently um, is, is whether we like the galaxy feeling smaller if, if a lot of characters come in different storylines, right? And I think this did the exact opposite. It's like, no, we're not even just the Republic. We're the freaking beyond the galaxy. And I think that was so cool. And I think it, it definitely helped that the Regassa was a straight-up badass. Like, yeah. her and yeah. So, we talked about last week, I'd follow these women into battle. Like, they were yeah. awesome. She didn't wear shoes, bro. Dude, that's <laughs> how you know they mean business. I've seen Kill Bill. I get it. <laughs> Speaking of the, of the question, I think, I think we may have seen, like, the Togruta's big finale that they had. Because they Ooh. helped save the day in this mm-hmm. book um, by bringing in 
their warriors to help fight off the Nihil. Um, and I think if they had used that information for the next book or a following book, um, and they just had like the the Republic commandos or whatever the hell they were they used. <laughs> oh yeah, the guard that like, fought by yeah, the guard. He was if cool. they just used those to fight off the Nihil and they held on to the Takruda storyline where they would come in and help them in a later time, um, then maybe I would think they would play a big factor. But I think that they, they, uh, <laughs> in, you know, I think they did a better job at putting it in this story and having us hmm. kind of see that that spark that Takrudas will actually be part of the Republic now because they helped out. It's a good point. Yeah, it's a good point. So we may see more of them. I'd be excited to see more of them. I thought the the introduction of their culture was really interesting. Um, yeah, absolutely. but it's interesting. Yeah, as... I'd like to see more of them integrated. Yeah, I- integrated. Oh, I... <laughs> that might be something. All right. I don't know. All right. Well, um, you tried to move on. You should have let you. I should have let, let you just go. Let's forward. move on from the excitement of the Tigridas <laughs> to something that's more exciting, which is Marky and Row and the Nile. I want to ask some big questions about them. There's just a lot to ask and a lot to talk about. And the first thing kind of revolves around the fact that a lot of the Nile strikes in this book, not the members of the Nile, but like their attacks, they're meant to be symbolic, right? Destroying the fair, which was marketed as the symbol of unity, the Cyclor shipyards, which were representing like the scientific capabilities of the Republic. Hetzel Prime, they thought about going and attacking again because it was the location of the Jedi's greatest victory and literally the fount from which all healing flows. So why do you think that the Nile choose these symbolic targets? The most to effective break form morale. of terrorism. Yeah. yeah, to definitely break morale of the Republic because everybody, everybody saw what the Jedi could do and how everybody could um, come together as a as a galaxy or as a republic and and be one and see that they can live in in peace after this whole the great disaster event mm-hmm. but these symbolic places yeah would definitely break morale because they see these these pieces as i mean in, in light of a better term like a holy land and somewhere where you see yeah. like hey this is somewhere that they had a bad thing happen and we went in and we fixed the problem and now everybody sees that this is a light that everybody can look at and see, hey, things are good. Things are things are okay. And right. if you see that part des- destroyed and blown up in your face, yeah, that I mean that's going to that's going to break morale real quick. Yeah. Uh I mean it, it, it's every story, right? Like how do you defeat Superman? You don't have to beat him. You just got to make him bleed and show people that he can. Yeah. Uh it's yeah. it's Bane against Batman. Like I'm not just going to fight you. I'm going to break who you are. And I think that's what Markeon Rowe knows because he's sadistic. Like, he's h- horrific, right? Like, he is like, I'm going to destroy the psychology of what you are because then you can't regrow, right? Even to bring in, like, the Drengear metaphor back to it, like, they're plants. They keep growing. You can cut them down. They regrow. So you have to go to the source. Yeah. And I think that's what Mark – I think the Nihil as a whole – just want to destroy. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just want to plunder and be pirates. But I think Markion is like, no, 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 no. We got to go for what they are and what they mean to the galaxy. Because as Palpatine showed, if you can get the galaxy to turn on the Jedi and the heroes, they do your dirty work for you. Yeah. yeah. Plus <laughs> inhibitor chips. And, and <laughs> I think it's interesting that Stellan says to 
the Chancellor at the end of this book. The Jedi are not warriors, nor should we ever be. And her response is, but you are symbols, especially now, especially you. And so there's so much, like, as much as Star Wars has always been about the symbolism of light versus dark and that decision that we all have to wake up and make every single day, like, this book is taking it to the next level of, like, symbolism is so central Mm -hmm. to everything that happens and i really love that it makes the story feel very elevated but doesn't obi-wan describe the jedi as being warriors in episode four like old obi-wan oh when he when he's explaining warriors of peace and yeah 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 he describes them as warriors interesting even though you know famed citizen caller mace windu says we are keepers of the peace not soldiers even though he's his subtext is like I can't wait to be a soldier. I'm going to kill so many people. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, Silence, citizen. Of, uh, crazy <laughs> murderers. Let's talk about Marky and Roe, who is an absolute Let's do mastermind it. in these books. Speaking of masterminds, Brian just, from Pink Milk just joined the chat. Hey, buddy. Hey, Brian. <laughs> hey, Brian. So, so Marky and Roe is playing chess while we're playing checkers. And yup. There was something that happened in this book that really just felt so odd to me. And that was when Pan, Pan Ada, reveals a recording in which Udi Dis tells him that he's been on Rose flagship, the Gaze Electric, and he knows that the paths actually come from an old woman who we know to be Marie Santeca. So why would Ro let Din see that? Does, does that seem out of character or was he wanting pan to find that out and try to use that information against him i think it's a moment of weakness for roe i think that or or rather not weakness so much as oversight i think that we learned from the scenes with him you know remembering him killing his father that like he is very personally invested in all this and he is playing chess but he is also very distracted by his personal pursuit of vengeance for him for his family for his legacy right and I think that that moment he realized, like, mm, I'm not perfect. I'm going to slip. Right? Or, like, so I think that I don't think he's Palpatine. Right? Because Palpatine, we've talked about this on this show a lot. We love how Palpatine has, is, is years ahead of everyone. Mm-hmm. I think Markeon's, like, mm-hmm. weeks ahead of everyone. Maybe months ahead of yeah. everyone. Um, but he definitely can give in to the rage now and then, which makes him such a fun character. But definitely a little more dangerous to himself yeah it's just i mean it's essentially humanizing the nile or the leader of the nile in this way much like they uh cabin tried to do with emotions with the jedi mm-hmm. he is humanizing uh marky on row here because he's gonna screw up and that's what he did that's essentially what happened because what but i mean i see the question that you you're further going to ask charles so it does make sense uh, so I'll let you ask that before I get into my actual answer. My further question? Oh, well. Yeah, like, did he do it on purpose? Yeah, I mean, do you think he did do it on purpose? Because, Eric, Eric, it sounds like you're saying no. It was a true moment of weakness. Mm-hmm. Wes, it sounds like you're considering that he did do it on purpose. Uh, I'm considering that he kind of did it on purpose. Um, he would tell you he did it on purpose, that's for sure. Yeah. I know yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> They're, they're, I don't know if he's he's created some other plan where this information is going to create hostility within the Nihil, within the within the strikes or within the storm, um, to for that 
I guess for that system to explode to where there's not there's not these caste systems anymore where there's just mm-hmm. him and they all bow to him and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just it's not these three tempest runners that are running the show. Yeah. So he has tent poles, know. right? Like Harris in the chat makes it nice, like he has an end goal but not a long term plan. I think he has like chapters. He's like, this will happen, and then I don't know how we'll get. Then this will happen, and he he kind of knows how to get to the next one, but there are gonna be some unforeseen bumps along the way, and that bump just happens to be Panetta, who he tries to kill eighty four times in a row. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't know that we've really like seen Markian Rose's whole like plan yet, though. Like, no, I, mean, I agree. No, like I I, I that's why I've not really had a whole lot to say about these two topics uh, about Marcion and like. Like attacking specific targets, because I don't really, I don't really have an opinion yet. I don't really know what what the end goal here. I mean, it's easy to say it's going to be the destruction of the Jedi, but like, I mean, other than psychological destruction, like, I don't know. There's just so many moving parts here with the yeah, leveler right, yeah. and this weird, creepy, like, kind of Sith <laughs> stuff. Maybe like, I don't know, man. I, I feel like I love that big mystery. If, uh, that's well, we don't really know what what's going to happen. So you, you bring up a good point. There's a lot that we still don't know, but we did also learn a lot of new stuff about Mark Yenroe in this book. And a lot of it came from his discussion with Kufa, who was like, I think his actual cousin, still kind of unclear, <laughs> I think. I, yeah, yeah ish. I don't know. Yeah, like second cousin, twice removed. I don't know. But yeah. it, <laughs> they can still marry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <What>? well, <laughs> so, All right, Texas. So here, here's the quote here. Roe had questions of his own. How many of them were left? The faithful? Kufa barked a bitter laugh. Not enough. You've seen it out there. Seen them with their golden robes and flashing blades. So resplendent. So glorious. The guiding light of the galaxy. They are guiding us to destruction. The faithful know it as we knew it on Jeddah, as we knew it on Dalna. But the recreants are in the ascendant and the tide can no longer be turned. And that last sentence sounds like an album title for like a emo screamo punk band that i love (laughs) the recreants are in the ascendant and the tide can no longer be turned but there's a lot to unpack in that one paragraph so jetta is mentioned and obviously no the hype i felt when they said jetta i'm like because we know we know jetta so well obviously from rogue one but its history actually runs really deep and we think of it as like oh it's like early jedi stuff is involved there but it's actually home to a bunch of religions including the jedi who worship at the temple of the kyber and so i did some research and while the disciples of the wills and the guardians of the wills were the predominant people who were on jedi at the time of rogue one there was also the church of the force which includes members like Lor Senteca. There was the Brotherhood mm-hmm. of the Beatific Countenance, the Clan of the Torabota, <laughs> and the Central Aesopter, which were just some of the other major religions that were based on Jeddah. Oh, yeah. And so while they, oh, right, those. While right, they all those. differ in their beliefs, <laughs> they all recognize Jeddah as a place of importance with a strong connection to the Force. So any of those or none of those could be related to the faithful quote-unquote that Mm -hmm. they keep referring to then there's dalna right which is the planet that honesty weft came from in a test Mm -hmm. of courage so there's already been some high republic connection (laughs) there so what's up with that a lot (laughs) so deep honesty is a nile that's what i'm trying to say here uh what are what are y'all's thoughts on all of this like 
what's going on? Who are the faithful? Like, what is their goal? I don't. They know. hate the There's Jedi. So many questions. Like, what is going on on Jeddah? I I don't know, man. Everything that surrounded Mark Yonro in this book is a huge unknown to me. Like, I don't think that. I mean, I've already I've already peeked at your list of Easter eggs, and like, I don't think that Kevin Scott did any of this without <laughs> like a total huge plan. It's so insane. Yeah. It's so deep. Right. It's like oh, we're gonna look back at this like in five years when we, we know everything, and it's like, holy crap. That tiny little detail was enormously important. Yeah. I don't know. I really, really like the fact that they're bringing up Jetta. Like, yeah. I mean, there seemed to be some conflict with like the Guardians of the Wills and mm-hmm. the Jedi and all that kind of stuff. Like, even in Rogue One, kind of was mentioned in that little book, the Guardians of the Wills or whatever. Yeah. Right? I don't yeah. know if you guys mm-hmm. read that, but yeah, um, it's interesting for sure. Yeah, I think Harris brings up a good point that I think we will find out a lot in the Marquee on Rogue comic, the Eye of the Storm yes. comic next year. I think is going to go through a lot of this. I guess I guarantee we'll have flashbacks in that to like his youth, yeah, right? Very good. much like Kylo Ren did. And just based on this book, though, based on that quote specifically, the vibe I get is that like the the faithful are maybe the like people that embraced the more chaotic, dark side nature of the Force that like broke off from the Jedi, and maybe they were all one on Jedi at some point, or maybe they were like we're all Force users, and the Jedi are like, well, we're gonna make we're gonna embrace the light, and they're like. You're you're idiots. You're you're shutting yourself off to the power of things like the leveler and things like yeah. that. Yeah. So in their mind, they're the only true people that know the entire force, which seems very dark side. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. I could never answer anything better than that. So way to go. So <laughs> let's. This is because of the transition I gave you at the beginning of the episode. I know. Well, let's follow that <laughs> train of thought. And I know ultimately the answer to all these things is going to be a shrug, and then I don't know. But I have to ask the questions, right? And hear what but y'all that think. That sucks as a podcast. Yeah. But like, <laughs> whoever I don't know, you know, whoever the Next faithful question. are, good. It seems they have some sort of ancient connection with the leveler, right? So let's talk yeah. about the level. So excited to talk about this. Here's what we know. This is the only thing that I wanted All to right. talk about <laughs> since I finished well, this damn go. book. Here's what we know about the leveler. First, it was encased in ice at a shrine on the planet Rystan where the faithful, quote unquote, used to gather. Then row. Is it, was it underground? It was. Was it underground? It was, it was underground. That, yeah. It was implied it was underground? Yeah. yeah underground it took him a long time to it get did. there. It, it was like. worth it. Yeah. It was worth the trip. It's like the, it's like the mines, of, mines of Moria. Yeah. There we go! A mine! Yeah. But, a mine! But then they, they had to fight uh, the Kobanica instead. That was that yep. creature they fought down there. But then Ro and Kufa repeat this ancient mantra with respect to the leveler. They say to each other, balance will come. And so that was really interesting. It's something that I think will play an important factor moving forward. And then mm. the leveler is controlled to mm. some degree by that darn rod that Markian Rowe has. <laughs> and it seems to disrupt people's connection to the Force, right? That's how yeah. Udi Dis was killed. Sith wiener. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. There you go. And All right, moving on. We may have learned the most at the end Had of this out, novel. Huh? <laughs> yep, I sure yeah. did. We may have learned the most at the end of this novel when we got Bell's experience of the leveler attack kind of described from his point of view. And it was described mm-hmm. like this. The thing in the mist was everywhere at once running, tearing, chasing him down. And there was nothing he could do nowhere. He could hide. It ripped through him, consuming everything he thought he was and everything he had yet to become. 
It was uncontrollable, a horror beyond name or understanding, and it was hungry. So very, very hungry. Bell reached out for the force, but it had gone the way of the ground in the sky. He was alone and he was powerless. All he could do was scream and scream and scream. So, what is the level? Kevin wrote this at like 1 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, being like, scream, scream, scream. (laughs) With like some warm milk. Birds chirping. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, so guys, what is the leveler? What do you think this thing is? What is happening? I don't know. Is it a critter or is it a I think droid? it's a beast. I think it is, <laughs> yeah, a is it not a ancient... is it not a beast? Well, cuz Mark Yanro put a freaking GoPro on the back of it that he's like I want to see how this goes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I yeah, was what like, "What's up with that?" It's so, like, it's like, what do you? It's like those videos where someone puts a GoPro on their golden retriever and like it yeah. takes off. And, who put that I, GoPro so, on? Whoever that is is dead for sure. Who soldered? Who soldered <laughs> that on? So I, I do think it's an it's an organic is like a loose term, but like it is a beast in my mind of some sort. That's like an ancient dark side of the force beast to like the level of like ancient darkness, right? But what what did it what did it do to load in yes. though? Like, because it doesn't it doesn't just like eat him. Like a beast would have just eaten him, but it like it like it freaking Thanos him, right? right? Yeah. Like it is it like a it turned him to ash? Like is like Greek is like a Greek mythos Gorgon type thing where like the the What's gaze of like you know what like, uh, like Medusa like when you look at it you turn oh, to yeah, stone. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. We already know that that turning to stone is a thing from the dark side arts thanks to uh, uh, myths and fables by George Mann. Right. So like there are dark side sorceries. Mm. That can do that. So, how do you learn to do a spell? You see it in nature and want to replicate it. So maybe mm-hmm. ancient Sith saw that. Like, <laughs> and I think that's also in that that Kevin Scott interview. I want to plug again on StarWars.com. They asked him about that. They're like, "Should we even ask you what that is?" He's like, "No." Yeah. Like, you'll yeah. see. And I think that is <laughs> that is something that we're going to find out more of going forward. So, at this point, I like the mysteriousness of it. I think it's some kind of organic, ancient, even I'll say pre-Sith darkness. It like feeds on the forest or something, maybe. Yeah, like, I don't know. It's like like maybe it's like the it, dark it seems side to of the have bed taken do, away. You know. Yeah, I mean, it seems to have like taken away Bell's force ability, yeah. right? I mean, is that kind of implied that it's taken yeah, it away or I mean, cut him off? Yeah. Like we were saying earlier, it cuts is him it, off. Is it no, has that power? Is right? it forever moving forward or is it while he yeah, it's in your general vicinity like we don't know all right that was in you gotta in the read Thrawn, the next the Thrawn book. trilogy <laughs> was in the Thrawn trilogy the yes or whatever oh, the, the, he's the Miri, yeah yeah he's yeah, Miri. Yeah, yeah it was spelled with a y a y yeah anyway the salamanders yeah, like the a, four salamanders yes. Yeah, 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 the four Salamiri. salamanders that kind of look like plants that he wears around his neck like yeah. a scarf. But whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think <laughs> something this, like that. <laughs> yeah, I do think this is their way of bringing in Sith sorcery to the canon more because we got a lot of that in the Bane trilogy, mm-hmm. right? That's Thought interesting. Bomb. It could be sorcery. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not alive at all. Maybe it's uh, a mist creature that he's like the putting yeah, the, the leveler together because also he said that's not its name. He's like you know Mark Yanro, That's not his name. The leveler. That's not its name. But mm-hmm. like his name the is Michael. <laughs> device is a way of doing a spell. So, yeah. do you guys? Very, is there very any chance Loden Storm is not dead? No, I think so. Okay. I don't think yeah, so. I I think he I think he might be alive. I mean, if he comes back, again, I don't know something. W- no, something we talk, weird. Yeah. Something about weird it. happened with him. I don't know. Talked about no. it on last roundtable. He's the T one thousand, and his body parts will no. come yes. together <laughs> and form up, and then you know. As I would argue, maybe the biggest Loden fan on this show. 
He's my favorite High Republic character. I still think no. Only because I think the story moment of that happening is so impactful. Yeah. And, it, sure. and I mm-hmm. think that it defines this era going forward. Yeah. That if they didn't, yeah. I think Maybe. it'd be a weaker storytelling thing. And I, again, if they do it well, who's to say? But I it think. It could be a trick. It could be. But I think that it's interesting. We already had him captured in once. And I think yeah. doing that again would maybe, I don't know. I think he's gone because I love, selfishly, I love what it does to Belle. I love what yeah. it does to Stellan. Yeah. And it basically, this is like in the prequel trilogy or the original trilogy if they were like, hey, guess what? We killed Yoda. You know that guy who thought was really powerful and wise? Yeah, he's dead now. Guess what? <laughs> like, yeah. that would have been so, that's huge. Dumb. <laughs> Yes, also dumb. Uh, But you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) let's take the powerful, wise person and say even they can be destroyed and then go forward in Claudia Gray's book. Right. This is gonna form this is gonna form the how Elzar and how uh, how Bell are going to use their force powers going forward, right? Or if they're able or if Bell's ever gonna be able to use it again, we don't even know. Yeah. I mean, come on, are, are we not gonna get a conversation with Elzar that he's like I tapped into the dark side once. You saw what I could do. It it, it destroyed Loden. If I just use it one more time, I could save yeah. everyone. Yeah. Like, come on, give it to me. That has got to <laughs> be where we're going. Well, so I normally don't do this, and I actually asked y'all's opinion before I brought this onto the show uh, because this is pure conjecture. Which he also never does, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. He just says whatever yep. he wants without a care in the <laughs> this world. This is my show now. <laughs> um, Corey, can you just get that image ready that I dropped in Slack? Um there's been okay. a lot of talk about the nameless from Kevin Scott's Dooku Jedi Lost out there, but also something that was mentioned in Claudia Gray's Master and Apprentice. And in Dooku Jedi Lost, what we learn is that stories of the nameless, and this is capital N, nameless, were often discussed by young Jedi after their classes were over. And Dooku himself described these stories as phantasmagoria. So he wasn't into these stories. He thought it was kind of nonsense. But then one of the prophecies in Master and Apprentice, you guys remember how much time we spent on those, states, only through sacrifice of many Jedi will the Order cleanse the sin done to the nameless. The danger of the past does not pass but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the galaxy entire. When the Force itself sickens, past and future must split and combine. Uh, split and combine. Now, it does go on to talk about the Chosen One. So is this talking about Anakin? Is this talking about things that are happening in the High Republic? Could it be both? I don't know. But that said, there is actual concept art for the Nameless done by none other than Ian McKegg. And it was actually featured in the original High Republic announcement trailer, if you go back and watch. Uh, and here's the image. So this... this oh my- God, horrifying it's creature. So I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to describe this for the listeners. I mean, this is like, I don't know. It's, it looks oh. like something you would see, like a, it looks like a Bigfoot picture. The way it's like blurry. Yeah. And, well, it's <laughs> like a skeleton like meets a witch, like a, yeah. all in white with like cr- long crooked and it, claws. And it's blurry because yeah, it looks- the end of that announcement trailer. I'd encourage everyone to go back and watch that. There are these images like this that like fly towards the camera in like a half second, and it seems to be a lot of the the villains that we have seen come into the story and some stuff that we have not seen yet. And so I can't help but question, Ooh. is the leveler a member of the nameless? Is that a picture of the leveler? 
Um, there's so much to yeah, unpack. Like goosebumps. Dude. This is creepy. Ooh, man. It's so creepy and scary. Yeah, man. Maybe. Really oh, but what a great tie-in that would be. That would yeah. be incredible. Across I mean, if only we had the, years ago. If only we had the person that wrote those prophecies being a key member of the High Republic <laughs> team. Right. Oh wait. I guess we got a caller. <laughs> Claudia. Hey. Is it the name? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. wild. Just, I mean, tell us. I mean. It, it certainly could be. And what did the what the what's that? I love that that bit of the bit of the prophecy which says the 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 danger of the past is not past. Uh, it says sleeps like, in an egg, and he was yeah, sleeping in like encased in ice. I mean, I don't know. Oh, it's the sin. That's the danger the of the past. Done, the sin done to the nameless. What the hell does the that faithless? Because they like it. the Jedi maybe sinned against them, yeah. and that's what they're feeling. And the, like, and the Force itself mm. sickens. And like, if that's not what that paragraph with Bell is talking about, yeah, man, it's this is. I mean, stuff. the answer is shrug. I don't know, yeah. but maybe. if it does, <laughs> y'all, this is recorded for the internet. It's here all the time. This is a great. This is a great call. Yeah. If it does, that is. Oh, that's cool and horrifying and absolutely horrifying, which would fit. Yeah, pretty much. So, so my final Ooh. overarching question is this: It seems that Amen. the Jedi may be stripped of two of their defining features in the near future: their connection to the Force and their lightsabers. Because remember that Rakanium device that that cuts off their lightsabers is still floating out there in the right. Nile. May have it. So, what's left at that point? Does anything still define them as Jedi? Like, do they have any other strengths that they can rely on if their connection to the Force and their lightsabers are taken away from them? They rely yeah. on each other. I think is is it's... What are the two phrases we've learned through this, through this so far? We are all the Republic and for light and life, right? And if we are all the Republic, the Jedi are going to rely on each other. They'll rely on the Togrudas. They'll rely on the Chancellor. Mm-hmm. They'll rely on everyone. Because I think at the end of the day, what we're going to learn, what we've learned since we were kids, is the Jedi is not measured by lifting rocks. It's not measured by the lightsaber. It's measured by your willingness to be a hero and help others. And I think that they are going to be stripped, like you're saying, Charles, of literally everything that has defined these heroes for 40 years <laughs> on screen, in books, everywhere. Yeah. And they're just going to say... What Loden did, which is point me in the direction of trouble, and they're gonna go and do what they can to save the galaxy. And I think that's what better lesson could we hope for from the heroes of Star Wars. So we can take a step down from that and also- say, <laughs> and say, well, if the if the Jedi lose their their Force ability, they can't fly their vectors. Yeah, so they'll have practically to, they, they'll need help from. The, uh, the galaxy or the Galactic Republic to provide them ships, but they're still great pilots. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're probably still they're probably still skilled in in hand to hand combat. They yep. can fight Basics. off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're probably I mean better off with more than the Nihil are. If you mm-hmm. are you know if they're face to face with with two different teams or two different um, opposing sides that. Yeah, they're probably better off fighting them than the Nihil are, but um, yeah, I mean, what puts them over the top is their Force abilities, and and that Force ability helps them work together, especially we saw that in, in Light of the Jedi, so if that's gone, then they can't feel each other, they can't feel yeah. each other's like um, one person being in control with somebody else not being, that's just, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a tough question. Yeah. 
Yeah. Can I leave y'all with one more quote that I think does somewhat help to answer <clears throat> this question a little bit? Please do. Um, Please do. I'm going to say it's from page 394, but it's not actually. It's this quote That's here. That's not true. Loden Greatstorm <laughs> stood alongside the young Jedi, his lightsaber back in his hands, the lightsaber that by rights belonged to Roe. How could the Twi'lek be alive after everything they'd done to him? Why wouldn't he break? That is why you should fear them, his father whispered in his ear. They are indomitable. They are unstoppable. And so that was Roe, of course, thinking about Loden Greatstorm and hearing his father's voice telling him that he should be afraid of the Jedi. I think it's it's that spirit, right? It's that spirit that they're not going to mm-hmm. give up, that they're going to keep fighting because it is the light, right, to get back to Master and Apprentice. Yep. Um, and mm-hmm. so that spirit, I think, is going to go a long way towards towards fighting back against the Nile. Oh, what, a, what a nice last thought to, for a very dark book. Yeah. That's a yeah. beautiful sentiment to kind of take into the darkness with the Jedi. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So agree. let's run through some Easter eggs. Guys, there's plenty let's of go. them. I'm going to speak as fast <laughs> as I've ever spoken in my life. Remember the page numbers are approximate. And uh, also I just want y'all to know these are not even all the Easter eggs that I found. I had to, File down the list to this. So here we go. Kevin's a madman. On 10, Elzar <laughs> on Avar rebuffing his advances. He says, it had been months since he saw her again. And when he did, the atmosphere was as frosty as a dawn on Vandor. So that's a nice callback to Solo, a Star Wars story. Vandor uh, yeah. was the location <laughs> yeah. of the attempted coaxium train heist. Uh, I feel like Kevin puts references to Solo in every one yeah, of his books. I agree. he loves it just yeah. like us. He's he one of us. It's great. Uh, same page. Elzar man is drinking uh, Ket... Catadin uh, Rosé. I don't know how to pronounce this, but this wine is from the planet Katata, which in Legends was the site of a battle between Imperials and a rebel force led by Princess Leia in Zero BBY, as first mentioned in oh. Star Wars Episode IV's radio drama in 1981. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. Did he know that? I, Holy I don't know. crap. <laughs> but it's in there. Guaranteed. Uh, the next page, the Statues of the Lost, in the Jedi archives are mentioned, and we know that, that that was a big part about Dooku Jedi Lost, obviously, and Kevin has a fascination mm-hmm. with the Lost, so that was great to see. Um, Elzar throws himself into the sea on Ashla, which is a moon of Tython, uh, to commune with the Force, and he gets you know answers from a Force vision, but Ashla itself was the word used for the light side of the Force in some of the earliest drafts for Star Wars, and in Legends, it was also used by Jedi during the Old Republic, and in canon, it's actually been established as the Lasat word for the light side. So that's cool. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, page 15, we see Dis had killed Scar Spike after a botched attack on Sereno's funeral moon. And of course, Kevin had to reference Sereno, which is the home world of Count Dooku. Right. But he took it one step further here by mentioning the funeral moon, which is formerly named Mantero, and it was created for Dooku Jedi Lost as the burial site of Dooku's <laughs> ancestors. How sweet oh. is that? I, I want to yeah, love anything right. as much as Kevin Scott loves Count Dooku. Right? <laughs> Amazing. Um, now, it's mentioned that Marky and Roe got Udi Dis to stop using Redug, which was a drug of some sort. And while there's plenty of different new drugs in the High Republic, this particular one is actually from <laughs> Legends in the Galactic Gazetteer, a supplement to the Star Wars role-playing game published online what only in 2004. Ooh, Deep cuts. Wow. How the hell do you find this Don't stuff, Don't worry about Charles. it. Uh, <laughs> 
So Cyclorians played a role in this novel, right? In the Cyclor shipyards. And they kind of were the master shipbuilders. And I found myself wondering, like, what do they look like? Because they're described as these insectoid weird things. Well, luckily for us, I found out that a swarm of Cyclorians actually fought with the Resistance in The Rise of Skywalker. And they're pictured in The Art of Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker book. So if you have that handy, go look them up. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Um, on 23, Indira Stokes says, yes. So there's, that, that is the one little, there on the right. Little fellas, huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I pull it up on. They have, on, they have on names, Google too. The, like, two that you see on screen have names, technically, but I can't remember what they were. Naturally. Yeah. Why are the Misfits t-shirts in, in, Just don't worry involved with that? <laughs> don't worry about it. So, so um, page 23, Indira Stokes says, besides, no one has ever really gone which is a nice callback to The Last Jedi, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Same page, pickled kushnip is mentioned, which is a food <laughs> you can actually see, if you want, <laughs> in the Force Awakens <laughs> visual dictionary because it was served at Maz Kanata's castle by Cookie the Chef. Wow. Sweet. Uh, 26, <laughs> Ty flies an unnamed YT-750 freighter, which is presumably a precursor to the Millennium Falcon, which is a YT-1300. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, so many white trivia in yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Now, Ty also uses Verazine stones to help her decide whether or not to take a job. So, it's kind of similar to chance cubes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Page 30, Slargas are mentioned, which are creatures that are described as a hideous mix, part Blurg and part Bantha. So, some of our favorite Star Wars creatures creating a new one. <laughs> How could anything get worse than a right? Blurg? I hate make Blurg. It, so make much. it fuzzy. It's so awful. <laughs> Uh, page 34, monkey lizards and scree rats are mentioned. So monkey lizards, of course, like Salacious B. Crumb, we know all about yeah. them. But we also know scree rats, which were vermin that lived in Lady Proxima's white worm den on Corellia that they captured and cooked Ugh. into the gang's breakfast sludge, as first mentioned in Most Wanted by Ray Carson. Awesome. Uh, let's see. We got a quote here. We felt a disturbance <laughs> in the force, Indira cut in. And you can't be more specific than that, the Aqualish asked through his vocoder before correcting himself. No, of course you can't. The Force is hardly empirical because that would be, you know, useful. So shots fired at the Force. <laughs> the Force itself. If anybody had, had listened to the audiobook, the vocoder that they used yeah. uh, for the Aqualish, like it talks over some mumbling that the Aqualish's language would be, was wow. great. It was amazing, that whole audiobook. Great part. job by the editors there. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. cool. Uh, on 36, Gluvins are mentioned, and that's a species exclusively depicted in the Star Wars Adventures comics up until now. And it's the same species that Jackson the Rabbit was referring to when he said, the bigger they are, the more fun it is to kick them in the blowhole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, of, course, of course, it'd be a reference. Jackson. <laughs> reference to yes. Jackson. And on the same page, Flugrians are mentioned, and that's a spe- the species of Elon Mack, who was one of the pod racers in The Phantom Menace. And I think it's like one of the only times we've seen that species, recently at least. Wow. Gotta get your pod racer facts in whenever you can. <laughs> yeah. Now, an Ackley is also mentioned on page 42, which, of course, we know from the Geonosis Arena. I feel like it's mentioned all the time. But more interestingly, agree, yeah. on that same page, a rogwort is mentioned, which is a species native to Mustafar. And fun fact here, General Grievous actually kept one as a pet, though it was ultimately killed by Kit Fisto in Season 1, Episode 10 of The Clone Wars. So go back and watch that episode if you want to know what a rogwort <laughs> he is. He kills his pet? Yeah. 
I assume it, I so assume it was named Fluffy. He, he tries to eat him. Yeah. Yeah, all right. That's true. On page 46, a maligator purse is mentioned. And a maligator is kind of exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> it's a blue-scaled alligator-like reptile created for Domain of Evil, which was an adventure supplement to the Star Wars role-playing game from 1991. Great. I'm telling you. There's role-playing games. I feel like you have the role-playing game from 1991. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I'll never tell. Uh, On page 46, we get this quote. The newcomer was female wearing a pristine flight suit, a small spherical droid hovering at her elbow. The unit served only one purpose, to deliver an anti-back solution into the Quranu's palm whenever required. The species had a pathological fear of germs. And I wish I had one of those things throughout this pandemic, man. Like, where can I get that droid? It's a... Droid that administers hand sanitizer. It's its only purpose. Uh, Page 50, Hroth beasts are mentioned, as previously described in Aftermath Life Debt. I feel like it's really mean to start a a word with an H and then, like, another consonant, because it feels like cool whip. Hroth. Hroth beasts. And and there's a picture of that in Race to Crash Point Tower in one of the artists, uh, in one of the pictures. You get to see what it looks like. Nice. It's terrifying. On 66, Hu Yang is mentioned, the wonderful droid professor who teaches generations of Jedi how to construct their lightsabers. So that was great. Uh, On 84, Chancellor So's desk is noted to be made of Rosher wood, the famous wood from Kashyyyk. Mm-hmm. That's like kind of not cool, but whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, how many trees were destroyed to make this desk? It's like yeah. it's like having an ivory desk. It's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't have an <laughs> ivory not, desk. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Many elephants died to bring us this, this desk. desk. <laughs> <laughs> On 85, Terra Sanube makes an appearance, and we learn that he's serving as the marshal of the Jedi outpost on Dera, and he's the one who sends none other than the Blade of Bardada to assist on Valo. Wow. So thanks, Terra Sanube. That's another cool that audiobook yeah. moment where you God, get to hear is so the young freaking version. old, right? Yeah, he's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Um, on page 90, Bell it. remembers some teaching from his youth, and he's recalling this quote, and it says, Transform you, the Force will, from this crude matter into light. And Bell mentioned that those words came from just a visiting alien to the Elfrona outpost. But the speech pattern, the word choice, and the lesson itself obviously heavily imply yeah. that it was Yoda. So that Elfrona outpost is yeah. pretty important, now we know. I mean, obviously, Bell and Loden were there, but we know that... Uh, Kylo Ren was there. We know that Lor Santeca was mm-hmm. there at one point. Luke Skywalker was there at one point. And now Yoda was there at one point. So that's pretty incredible. Um, Love that. On 96, Elzar Man notes that the Valo sky is the same blue as an Ankari sapphire. And the Ankari sapphire is a gem out of legends that possessed healing powers. And it first appeared in Of Possible Futures, The Tale of Zuckus and 4LOM from Tales of the Bounty Hunters in 1996. Sick. Same page, wow. Elzar mentions he served as a Jedi Knight on Naboo at the Gallo Temple. And that specific temple is newly created for this book. But maybe it will show up in future prequel content. Who knows? But what's Great. cool about it is that it's very likely named after Boss Gallo from Legends, who was a Gungan leader from 3000 BBY, who was responsible for uniting the Gungan <laughs> tribes as featured in the 2001 video game Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds. Yes. The Gallo Temple. No, not that guy. And oh, Galactic Battlegrounds was fantastic. It was like uh it was like Star Wars Age of Empires. I still have it. It's Sick. so good. I've never played it. I'm gonna have to though. 
Um, and what's cool is that character, though, of Boscala was actually brought to canon in Fantasy Flight's Nexus of Power source book for the Forces of Destiny role-playing game. So Gallo himself, wow. Hell, yeah, God. Gallo himself is already canon, so it could be about him. Um, he made it. Good. Page 121, Hoverball it. and Shockball are both mentioned, which are legend sports. This is Hoverball's first canon appearance, but Shockball's first since Resistance Reborn. Mm. On 122, Senator Toon's henchman is an Ors Rolano, which is a species that was created for the Rise of Skywalker, but this is its first appearance outside of that film. On 128, uh, do, you, do, you remember, do you remember who that is, or the Ors Lozano? Who it is in the Rise of Skywalker? I do yeah. not know who it is. Yeah, we'd have to see if maybe there's... Is, some... it, the, is it the guy that goes, win the war? No, <laughs> no, that's, a, that's an ovarian. Oh. Ovarian? Okay, I like that guy. Or a I think you just want it. I think you just wanted to do that. It's an, it's an, it's an ovary fighter. It's an ovary. <laughs> I was in Battlefront. Who knows? Oh, he throws man. eggs at you. Win the war. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On page 128, a Doshim pit is mentioned, and the Doshim is a terrifying species on Ryloth in legends that were featured in the complete Star Wars encyclopedia. Ton of, ton of legend stuff in this book, actually. Um, on page 159, an Uneti blossom is mentioned uh, as one of the things on display at the Valo Fair, and in that it was from the great tree on Coruscant. So, yes, the same great tree that Dooku almost wrecked in Jedi Lost when he got frustrated with right. Yoda's teaching style. Yeah. And note that Uneti trees grow on Octo, and in fact, the tree that housed the Jedi Library was an Uneti tree. And they're actually slightly oh. force sensitive. And final fun fact for you: Chirrut Imwe's staff what? is made from wood from a Nuneti tree. Wow, that's yeah. awesome! So, of course, it is. That's pretty cool. One seventy, so cool. the Sith Wars are brought up as first mentioned in Kotor two, only referenced in canon in the High Republic and the Thrawn Ascendancy series so far. So the fact that they keep bringing this up might imply that they're yeah. going to do something it's with it. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. Uh, 196 Krantians are mentioned, and this is uh, the species' first canon appearance as well. They were previously featured in Republic Commando True Colors. On 196, also a Peasel is mentioned, and that's the small orange-shelled insectoid species of Skrit, who was one of the rebels that ventured to Vader's castle alongside Lena Graf in Cavan's Tales from Vader's wow. Castle. Great. How does he? How does Cavan get all this stuff? Like keep all this up in his mind. It's just crazy. He's he's impressive. He writes man. so much of it. <laughs> yeah. um, Two eleven Zetar created what's called Blair droids, which are droids de uh, designed to fly into the war cloud with their speakers pumping out a mix of white noise and <laughs> wreck punk, which sounds like something Chastnachatic would listen to. I can't yep. wait for a wreck punk album. I need it. <laughs> Uh, Two fourteen tip yep is mentioned, which is a meal made from Endorian chickens, recently featured at Galaxy's Edge. Look at all those <laughs> chickens! On <laughs> on two twenty four, Boz Pity is mentioned as one of the planets that has a sky island on Valo, and this is a planet first mentioned in uh, Revenge of the Sith as the location where Quinlan Voss is moving his troops. However. It has been mentioned in canon several times since most recently is the location of one of Ta uh, Nath Tenzin's old missions in Alphabet Squadron. So, Boz Pity. Wow. I have no recollection wow. of this line. What's Me neither. It's out, look it up. It's out there. Uh, watch that movie. Another place that was mentioned, Vrogus Voss, which is the location of the comic crossover event Vader Down. 
On nice. 231, Ty says there's more than one way to skin a Tuka cat. So there's your obligatory Tuka oh, cat reference, literally in every canon wow. book. Kind of a kind of a dumb yep. one. A little bit. <laughs> 249, the lamproid species is mentioned, which is a worm-like creature created for the cantina scene in A New Hope that was so gross that George Lucas almost didn't want to include it. And it was later named a lamproid wow. in Tales from Moss Isaac Cantina in the short story, One Last Night in the Moss Isaac Cantina, The Tale of the Wolfman and the Lamproid. So, more wow, legend species. Gross. Um, 249. Is that, the one that, is that the one that she shot the arms off? Uh, was yeah. that a lamproid? I think that, yeah, the yeah. One that was. Led them back? Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, that's him. On 249, the Kittenak species is mentioned, and that's the species of none other than Droopy McCool, the Chindan Kalu <laughs> flute player Droopy from the Max cool. Rebo band. I got a gig! Got a gig. <laughs> uh, 262, Kilkana are mentioned, which were the mounts of the Mon Cala Knights in Chapter 5 of Gendi Tartakovsky's Clone Wars microseries. So, yeah. yeah, they were previously brought to canon for the Fantasy Flight's role playing game as well, but this is the first canon novel that they've appeared in. Um, 266, it's officially canon now that in universe characters say pew pew to mimic blaster fire, just like us. <laughs> well done. Uh, 274, the phrase by Surik's blade is used. And this phrase was also used by Skier in the High Republic comic. And Surik is the name of a female Jedi master in KOTOR 2. And Kevin Scott actually implied on his Twitter that she was the inspiration for this new phrase. So, they are, wow. are not erasing all the KOTOR stuff. You know, they are, really are so bringing cool. a lot of this yeah. back. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, 274, we see a staff made of frick. What the frick? Uh, one of the few the substances <laughs> that wasn't susceptible to a lightsaber's blade. So I think that, spe- or that substance rather is new, but it may come up again because that's a pretty, pretty handy power, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a few medals in Star Wars that have that yeah. ability. Mm-hmm. Beskar is one of them. Yep, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Colon crystals, Colon as crystals. we already said. <laughs> exactly. It's disgusting. 282, Elzar and Ty basically <laughs> link their minds to tame the sandballs, and they each learn something about each other when they do. And the names Sababa and Teradine were both linked to Ty specifically. And we know Sababa was Ty's Jedi Master, but did you realize that we also know the name Teradine? From, you guessed it, Dooku Jedi Lost, Cleus Teradine is identified by Dooku as the Padawan who discovered the Bogan Collection, a vault of dark side artifacts wow. hidden in the Jedi archives on Coruscant. Wow. Yeah. So, Ty Yorick has some wow. sort of connection to the Bogan Collection and Teradine. That's huge. Wow, man, that's that's huge. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. That's huge. Um, 285 Life Day is mentioned. On 315, Great. a crow lute is mentioned, which is Unkar Plut species. I only put that in here so I could say ew. Uh, 317. <laughs> One quarter portion. <laughs> on 317, Alzerians are mentioned. That's a species also making its first jump from legends to canon. They are green-skinned humanoids that first appeared, get this, in the fourth issue of the 1986 Droids comic. And they've only had two subsequent mentions since then. One... In the 10th issue of also the 1986 Ewoks comics, <laughs> and two in Shadow of Revan, the fourth expansion to the Star Wars The Old Republic MMORPG. What? Wow. Kevin did of tell course. us back in the day that, <laughs> oh, that he, one. like, 
You read all the old comics yeah. growing up all the time. Like that's how we got into so Star he's, Wars. He's so. That's right. I don't yeah. know. On 313, Indira says to Gruta Fleet, this is Indira Stokes of the Jedi Order, the Force welcomes you to Valo. Now blow those junk heaps out of the sky. And that's got to be a reference <laughs> to Kylo's line from TLJ, right? Blow that piece of junk oh, out yeah. of the sky. Oh, yeah. 315, Orbelin references the Lariat of Armistice, an unbreakable cord that dated back to the days of the Mystic Nine. And we don't know what the Mystic Nine was yet, but that sounds badass, and I can't wait till we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Quentin Tarantino's yes. going to write it. <laughs> the Mystic Nine. On 315, someone says Star's End, like OMG is kind of how they use it. And that's obviously a reference to Star's End, yeah. the prison <laughs> featured in At Star's End, the first book in the Han Solo Adventures by Brian Daly. Uh, wow. 362, the planet Iskalon is mentioned. Want to hear a crazy legends fact about that planet? Per Wikipedia. Yes. In the 1987 Japanese video game entitled Star Wars, just Star Wars, after rescuing Obi-Wan Kenobi on Kessel, Luke Skywalker arrived on Iskalon to rescue C-3PO, and he had to swim deep underwater to fight Klados Vader, a shark-like creature who took the form of Darth Vader. But once Klados was hit by Luke's lightsaber, he transformed back into a shark and swam away. So thanks for that, Japan. Like not what? like a not like a shark alien no. like in Clone Wars like a, like a shark. shark just a full on <laughs> shark. <laughs> what yep. the hell? Um, Three seventy nine. Stellan is leading a group of Jedi vectors, and he calls them Red Group. So it's possibly an early mm-hmm. reference to like Red Squadron. Oh. Um, Three ninety three. Stellan thinks letting Elzar pretend it's happened to the dark side with the lamproid had been dangerous enough, but Stellan wondered if sending him into a potential battle had been the best decision. Still, it was done now. He had already planned a trip to Jeddah for the both of them as soon as the time was right, perhaps even gaining special dispensation to visit the Kyber mirrors beneath the Dome of Deliverance. Usually, the priests of Firma only open the mirrors on Reflection Day, but Stellan would pull a few strings, not only for Elzar, but for himself, too. They had a lot to learn together, especially now. And there's so, <laughs> so much in many there, terms right? in that one but paragraph. But interestingly <laughs> enough, uh, George Mann's upcoming short story collection, Life Day Treasury, features a, a New Year festival on Jeddah where on Reflection Day, people, including the Jedi, will travel from all over the galaxy to take their turn peering into the mysterious kyber mirrors beneath the city in search of guidance. So we'll actually get to see what he was talking about there. Wow. Awesome. Great. I'm thinking of the cave. Yeah. Ray's cave. On oh, yeah. yeah. It may be very similar. That's great. On 394, Lorna D, wondering if she made a mistake uh, trusting Roe over Pan, says maybe she had backed the wrong father. And fathers, of course, are from yeah. TLJ. Um, mm-hmm. Same page, okay. Roe is again haunted by a vision of his father. And we get this quote, Roe grabbed one of the cables, pulling himself up. Weak or not, he had no time for ghosts. And all I could think of was piss off ghosts, uh, which is one of my favorite Marvel quotes of all time. Um, Finally, finally, Loden and Bell grab Lorna's ship in midair using the force and hold it in place, just like Kylo and Rey did in The Rise of Skywalker. Um, That's all I've got. That is the last one I had. So, wow, this has been probably the longest roundtable we've ever had ever in the history of the living force. No, no, it's still in two parts. I know, so I but like this part was like two hours. Singular. Um, so y'all final thoughts, give me your last score one to 10 and then we'll get on out of here. Um, Wes, 
Want to start us off? I am going to stick with my original score was either, I think it was a 9.4, 9.5. Definitely, I loved loved the book. Um, I loved how it ended with seemingly the the villains winning or them having the upper hand going into the, the last book in phase one. So I appreciated the darkness that Kevin, that Kevin gave us. And I also appreciate how he took out one of the main characters. Cause it makes yeah. it that, yeah, it makes it that much more interesting. Cause every, nobody is safe. What we talked yeah. about earlier in the, in, in the show. So yeah, solid 9.4, 9.5. I can't remember what I said first, but I don't want to change it. <laughs> All right. I like you. Corey. What do you think? I think I will. I think I said nine point two, and I'm pretty sure I'll bump mine up to a nine point five um, because I like sped read this book. I missed some of the details, and I, I guarantee you, if I li- if I listen to the audiobook, like just hearing you guys talk about the audiobook, I guarantee you, I would make it a nine point five. Um, like, good lord, Kevin is quickly becoming like like Timothy Zahn level, like Star Wars yeah. contributor. I mean, like he just creates such incredible incredible characters and stories and i mean these references are insane like i don't know that we've ever had a book that we've done a round table on that's got this type of easter eggs like this is yeah. just there's, there's usually one it's like one or two that's like from the rpg <laughs> storybook newspaper from 1981 like you know it's like but no it's like like half of these easter eggs are like that and it's just like I don't know. I don't know if he creates all these or if other people give them to him or if there's a team behind it. I have no idea. We will probably never know. But, like, this book was really, really good, and it introduced a lot of story. It feels like – I know we're not done with, like, phase one yet, but it does feel like like sort of a – I feel like we've, we're moving towards phase two, right? It feels yeah. kind of like you're closing a chapter, right? right. I mean, just like we're moving away from – like it feels like we're getting close to something big. It feels like Empire, yeah. right? Like yeah. le- you leave on sort of a cliffhanger, right? And that's kind of how I feel coming out of this book. So, and I love Empire. Everyone loves Empire. <laughs> yeah. All right, Eric. What do you think? Um, I think I started at a nine point seven. Um, I'm gonna agree with a lot of our folks in the chat right now. Stephanie, Endar, and Aaron. I'm gonna bump it up nine point eight. I mean, wow. I. The only reason that I'm not giving it like a nine point nine or ten is because of that earlier question of like light of the Jedi rising storm. Like there is just that like literally point two of the first time bit that is pushing that yeah. over the edge. But like, I mean, this book is incredible. Like you said, Kevin is just such a great writer. All these characters, the more I've sat with them and thought about them, the more I can't wait to meet them again. The more I can't Agreed. wait to read this story again, listen to it again or get the next thing. And that's just a mark of a great star Wars novel. Um, so I happily give it a 9.8. I'm so excited that the first two have been so great. And then the next one is by Claudia Gray. I mean, what in the world did we do in a past life to get this? I'm just so excited. I'm so happy. And like all of our tables, every time we talk about it with each other, I'm reminded just how much this book affected me. So happily give it a 9.8. Yeah. And I think I'm right there with you. I don't remember what I gave this book the first time around. I think it was like a 9.5. I'm going to bump it up even further. I'm going to be right there with you, Eric. I'm going to say 9.8. I think I said when we started this, this is my favorite Star Wars book in a while now. And I I stand by that. I will 
devour literally anything that Kevin Scott creates. And lucky for me, he's got stuff coming out soon. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, very soon as well. But um, that's it for another roundtable. Eric, take us home, good sir. All right, my gosh. Well, another absolutely fantastic roundtable. Another shout out to Charles for these just pages. And pages and pages of notes amidst uh, one of the busiest times of your own life. Yeah. You found time to do all these amazing things and lead us on this conversation. Thank you. Man, Charles. Seriously. Real. And also, to everyone, this has been our most, I think, concurrently live-viewed roundtable we've done. Thank you to all of you. We hope you had a great time in the chat. And if you're listening to this later, we hope you had a wonderful time and are continuing the conversation in our Discord. One last reminder to throw us... Some, you know what, I'd say lighter, but maybe heavier questions of, in our Discord channels for next week. It'll be all questions. We will just have a great time talking about what you want to hear. So make sure to hit us up on Twitter, Discord, email, all that stuff. We will see you Monday night. Very quick turnaround. But on that, my friends, that'll do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you support us on Patreon, thank you so much. Your support makes this and everything we do at UTNE possible we super super appreciate it and a very special thank you to cheryl bell ok endar patrick ortiz and carl sander on our jedi high council and elizabeth cloutier jason mitchell freddie c and sally and chris eilerson on our alliance high command for your amazing support you can find us on twitter i'm at eric eilerson Corey's at doc star wars md charles zetsy hankel west is at boss west a special thank you to Matt Davenport, our amazing editor, Ryan, our graphic designer extraordinaire, and Wes, our producer and community manager. Thank you to Corey Charles and Wes for podcasting with me tonight. Thank you to all of you again for tuning in and listening. And as always, may the force be with you. High Republic! There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it, live by it, and above all, trust in the living force. Join the Utini community and surround yourself with like-minded fans at utini.com. And remember, the force will be with you. Always.